Hello again, everyone, to the third episode of Through the Years, the podcast where two men in the prime of their lives review Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. And this young man is Trevor Dame, and my co-host is the man who invented Listem and Learn, invented this podcast. It's Matt Feuerstein. Matt, how are you doing? Pretty good. Who knew I was an inventor? Who are these two men in the prime of your lives that are doing the same thing we're doing? Uh, well, uh, quit exposing me, Matt. Jesus. Um, that's what, that's what, no, that's not what she said. I don't do that to people without (laughs) their permission. You only expose with permission. That's right. We've already got the life lesson from today's episode. Uh Well, I think today's episode's going to run quicker. We're going to try and make it a little bit leaner and meaner, and we don't really have anything to get to, so... I think without further ado, we're just going to jump right into the episode, into the review, and all the contact stuff will be saved for the end, so we'll, we'll have to earn it. If you want to contact us, you'll have to, we'll have to do a good show f- to make you want to contact us and get that information. I know I always contact people after I listen to their podcasts. Yes. Like, eh, we've had a fair amount of contacts, but yeah, generally people don't, and we love you people too. But... I guess I'll go right into the review. It's um, the third show, Night of Appreciation, took place on April 27th, 2002 at the Murphy Rec Center in Philadelphia. The third straight show there, and it'll be their home base for quite a while. Um, it was reportedly drew 425, a sellout, so it was back up. The attendance was back up, I guess, after could have just been the Easter weekend. It could have been the Eddie Guerrero effect because he worked both the shows that apparently – did the better gates, but I uh, yeah I, I could definitely see that being a big factor. Also, it looked from the external shots like the weather was pretty nice the day of this event, which I think probably helps. Yeah, um, it, you know, a good time to see some wrestling, and yeah, I, I think Eddie might have had something to do with it. Although Ring of Honor will do probably around this similar range for a while now, but we start with basically as is kind of a theme with these early ring of honor shows, we get kind of a segment palooza to start the show. So the first segment, the very first thing we see on the DVD is HC Loke is on a big gigantic 2002 era cell phone. I think that's a phone bigger than, um, the handset I have now in 2017 at home. And he's talking to his mysterious partner that he referenced in the first episode and in comes Angel DeVito, his mysterious partner, talking on his own phone. Tony DeVito. So we get, I mean, Tony DeVito. Yes, Tony DeVito. You're getting your baldies all mixed up. Oh, God. Actually, yeah, I'm going to have to edit my, some of my notes for when I post them. Um, thank you. But DeVito comes in with his own phone, so we get that kind of sitcom moment of, oh, they were on a call, and he was wondering where he was, but he's right there outside the door, Aww. but not with flowers. But... Yeah, they're super excited to see each other. It's going to be like old times. They walk backstage as um, the ring is getting set up. And DeVito takes time to kind of gleefully attack a couple of members of the ring crew, including throwing one into rows of chairs. And this is the first official appearance of the Carnage crew. And the lesson in this segment is, besides that DeVito is here, it's that DeVito is mean. Yes, and he's gleeful about being mean. And I think we mentioned this in the last episode that there there may have been a a boarded kind of Carnage Crew segment on the last show where a segment didn't go well. But this is – in terms of people, if you're watching on 
just watching the DVDs and not following the live events. This is kind of the first formation of what is the canon Carnage crew, I would say. So after that, we get another generic techno music video as another part of the continued theme of these early shows. I think this was the same video that they played at the end of the Round Robin Challenge, actually. I think it was, too. I think they just decided to reuse, you know... Ring of Honor was big into recycling before a lot of us, so That's right. good for them. Before Reseda did the whole reuse Reseda thing. Uh, next segment, we're going we're gonna to buzz through these. Um, Chris Devine, Quiet Storm, and Brian XL are hanging out backstage. And just like last month, Quiet Storm wants to try out a new submission he just thought up of. But this time he wants to try it out on Brian XL, who refuses because he says he's a high flyer. And... Um, Storm uh, walks away, and Divine gets pissed off at XL for not trying it, which I think is pretty weird considering that last month's segment, uh, Chris Divine got caught in a submission by American Dragon, basically doing it agree- by agreeing to do the same situ- thing. And so you would think if anyone would understand, like, maybe this isn't a good thing, Chris Divine should be the one understanding this. He should not be getting mad at poor Brian XL here. Well, I think that Chris Devine wanted Brian XL to be pranked by by Quiet Storm. I I feel like they were on the same page. Uh, Quiet Storm, the Divine Storm. I feel were on the same page in this particular prank. So they were being the JBL to uh, Brian XL's Mora Ronello. That's right. But I think you're underselling this. The, what's happening here? Because this was in the, what happened was Quiet Storm wants to try a submission, right? And. Mm-hmm. And Brian XL immediately launches into, uh, no, you're being a biatch. Why would you put me in submission? No, I'm a bi- you're a biatch. What, uh, I'm a high flyer. You, I'm a high flyer. You, you're a biatch, biatch. And said, maybe said biatch and high flyer like 17 times. Really couldn't get out a coherent statement other than don't put a, don't put a submission on me because I'm a high flyer, which doesn't even make sense. Because cause you're a high flyer doesn't mean your opponent's going to be. That's one thing. And... Then he just uses the word biatch. Um, I'd say far more than it ever has been used in any other conversation in history. I, I would say he. There's. We're getting another segment coming up soon where he continues to talk. And I would say by the time we get to that segment, seventy percent of the words that are coming out of Brian XL's mouth are some variation of biatch, high flyer, and submission. Uh-huh. Like it, it almost becomes just a Mad Libs without even the connecting words. Yeah, it's just literally just pick one of those three phrases, and you'll get it right. I th- I feel like biatch was by far in a way the number one word that he used. That was his old faithful, but yeah. he he rotated them a bit. He had the good variation here of the three phrases. So next we're um, going to the Christopher Street Connection are going to um, spoof. The Hit Squad segments that have been going on the first couple of shows, where they're the ones going out in um, Hit Squad repeat offender t-shirts, going out to the crowd that's lined up ready for the show, and they do their own kind of Christopher Street Connection version of the Hit Squad rile up the crowd stuff. They talk about how instead of being the hardest hitters, they're the best kissers. They um, they do kiss. They they basically the crowd's having a good time just watching them and laughing at them, but then when they're kissing, that's the cue for the hit squad to come. They chase the Christopher Street connection away, 
And at this point, we get the same Hit Squad segment we've had for three shows now. It's it's a li- it's shorter this time, but it's the same loud kind of rah-rah promo. It's the same playing sections of the crowd against each other, you know, New York versus Boston. I am just getting... I can't... Every time they repeat this, it... it it's not getting better. It's it's getting worse. Yeah, the Christopher Street connection were so much better at this than the Hit Squad is. They yeah. were actually entertaining. They had personality. They didn't have the awkward like, uh, what do we say now? Uh, parts that the, that the Hit Squad were having during these uh, during these segments, and it does seem like the crowd reacted in a much less homophobic manner than the actual announcers they hired to put over the segments um yeah you know, they, they were still a little bit of like the ooh, you know when they kissed and stuff which um you know uh i guess that was the desired reaction it's a little bit ridiculous to me but still is but there was no there was definitely no like angry homophobia directed at the christopher street connection during this the crowd didn't seem to get mad at them they seemed to like be laughing at them um they there were no definitely no you know f-word chants the way there were in the other uh the other segments. So I feel like they, you know, kind of got the, the enjoyment and kitsch of the characters. Whereas the promotion for some reason was really pushing the homophobia aspect early on in a weird way. But the Christopher Street connection, if you actually let them do their thing, you know, again, I said this before, it's like a regressive gimmick. It's not particularly empowering and there it's problematic no matter how it's presented, but at least that it's like lighthearted and fun and you don't there's no reason to bring the the hatred to the whole situation the way ROH did early on yeah even in the first show when the crowd does the faggot chant before then i mean they're even on that first show they're clearly having a good time before the Christopher Street connection kind of almost prompt them to do the chant not that it's not that it gives them any excuse, but I think, you know, right from show one, they enjoy this gimmick. You know, Ring of Honor's portraying it as, you know, this is everything the company isn't. We should be, like, full of revulsion whenever we see these characters. But every time the Christopher Street connection comes out, you know, the fans seem to go, hey, you know, it's good to see you guys. You know, this will be good for a couple jokes. Yeah, and like you mentioned last week, the idea that they're, like, presenting it as like this is everything the company is not like if they're doing it by the third show if they're actually involved in a full-on feud then clearly it's not everything the company is not and they're just being hypocrites like you said yeah at this point they are just a part of the regular roster even when the first segment of the first show they were portrayed as you know these interlopers who weren't on the sheet you know but yeah so that's that segment a little bit shorter but still awful and at this point, we go back to a Quiet Storm backstage who has found American Dragon, and he tells him that Brian XL wants to learn his submission, just like Chris Devine did the last show. And so we get Brian XL, who's busy biatching, high-flying, submissioning away, and Dragon sneaks up on him and puts him in the submission, and Brian XL freaks out and screams in pain, just like Chris Devine did on the last show. And... I think the interesting thing about these two segments, the Hit Squad one and this segment, are they're both very referential in the way that they assume that you've watched the last show. Like, the the Christopher Street connection thing only works as a joke, really, if you know that they're p- kind of parroting the Hit Squad segments from the first two Ring of Honor releases. And likewise, this segment is directly playing off of something that happened at the very last show with the Chris Devine segment. So... 
Ring of Honor was always kind of episodic, but I find that this is kind of like a very early example of them directly referencing things that happened on the last show. Don't you see, Trevor? This is a um, this is like the wrestling version of The Wire. It demands your full viewing attention. You can't even miss an episode, or else you're you're screwed. Um, yeah, this on my second or third rewatches is only when I get up these subtle, subtle little touches. Yeah, I I actually. I liked. I enjoyed these um, Brian XL segments. Besides just the funny, the funniness of the biatch stuff. First of all, he, Chris Devine, uh, at one point when he sees um, uh, Dragon coming, he's like, "Oh, I got to go get something." And Brian XL's reaction is like, "What? You're acting like a biatch." So, like, <laughs> so the idea is that Chris Devine is a biatch merely because he had to go get something for a second, and then um, Brian XL's selling. During, uh, during while he's in the uh, submission hold is actually really funny and I think probably his best performance in ROH was just he's like <laughs> ah, 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 ah. like it was like really good comedic selling I like not not even like making fun of it like he just did a good job so I give that that whole thing a thumbs up yeah credit to Divine and XL on both these last two shows they both sell really good kind of comical very large selling for dragon and yeah i like the segments too like they're they're short this one's a bit longer I f- it feels like than the segment they did on the last show with dragon and these guys but you know they're just fun little segments and they get over dragon and but the segments continue now um we get the hit squad backstage talking to boogaloo and we hear through their conversation that uh, Homicide's in Japan right now. I believe this at this point he was at uh, zero one, I think. And so Boogaloo is just kind of a little bit – it's funny because Boogaloo, so far, all we've seen from him is the big fake scary voice and the chainsaws. And here he's just chilling and kind of low-key down and just like, yeah, Homicide's in Japan. And I decided to show up to the you know show anyway. And at this point, DeVito comes in, and he warns Boogaloo that it's coming at you. He's co- they're coming to get him. And the hit squad and Boogaloo basically react like they have no idea what's going on. So, obviously, they did not get an early copy of the first Ring of Honor DVD where H.C. Loke places the mysterious phone call to somebody to get revenge on them. Yeah, it was also kind of just funny, like, the way they were talking. Because, like, they were just almost, like, wistful about Homicide. Like... They're like, oh, so Homicide, the hitch card are like, so Homicide is not here, right? And, and Boogaloo's like, yeah, you know. And and, and uh, Moff is legitimately like, uh, ain't it weird without him around? <laughs> and I don't know why, but I thought that was just really funny the way he said that. And then Boogaloo's like, yeah, you know. Like, they were almost like talking about like, oh, you yeah, know, I really, I really miss him. And then DeVito comes in. I, I don't know. It's like, because it's so different from the Boogaloo that we see on the first two shows because he's just running around with a chainsaw and talking in this, like, gruff, mean voice. And then he's just like, I don't know. What what does DeVito want with me? Hi, oh, Miss Homicide. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's very, it's very jarring. But they reacted. Yeah, sorry. Oh, they react in the exact opposite way you've been conditioned in these first two shows to see the Hit Squad and Boogaloo react. Like, they don't get immediately angry. They get just get kind of confused and almost like why would someone have a problem with us yeah i know it's it's really weird i don't i mean i don't mind it it's just weird yeah and again it's a short segment and we get finally to the last segment before kind of the start of the show proper and that's um our old friend frank talent the pennsylvania state athletic commission member he's backstage giving all the boys again another pep talk 
And this time, Eddie Guerrero's back at the show, so he's backstage, and he spends most of his pep talk putting over Eddie, and uh, he gets everyone to give a round of applause for Eddie. He says that tonight he wants them to go out and give an, uh, even another 110% for Eddie. Um, the big part of this whole angle is Frank Talent blows up at Spanky this time for showing up late and being a goofball, wearing his headphones again, and just really reams him out in front of the boys, so... We're building up to that eventual Frank Talent Spanky match at Final Battle that I know we're all really looking forward to. Ah, oh, man, it would have happened if if uh, Spanky hadn't been signed up um, by the WWE. And by the way, um, the reason this show is called the Night of Appreciation is because it's the Night of Appreciation for Eddie Guerrero because you know he was going to be like a, I guess a staple in ROH had he not gotten signed, and he was probably the guy who drew the first house. So they were they were kind of all giving him their appreciation before he went back to the WWF because by now he had already shown back up at WWF and he was already the Intercontinental Champion. He had beaten uh, Rob Van Dam, right? Didn't he beat him at um, Backlash? Uh, Backlash, right? For the for the Intercontinental Title. So that was I guess earlier this same month. Yeah, and it might seem weird to have a night of appreciation for a guy who's working his second show in a company that's three shows old, but. I think it was just a, a night of appreciation for Eddie in general. And I also think around this time, it wasn't as common, I think, for uh, necessarily for every guy that got signed up by uh, the WWE to kind of fulfill their obligations. And Eddie, to the best of my knowledge, he did kind of fill, fulfill his last indie obligations, even though he had already been working weekly with the WWE, which is something that is much more common now. WWE will let you do that. But back in the old days, I don't think it was as common where sometimes, you know, it was more often guys would just, you know, if they signed, they would flake out on everything and immediately just be exclusive to the WWE. Yeah. I think, you know, Eddie definitely comported himself very well, um, in this, in the whole situation. And, um, by the way, this segment's also kind of note because it's, it's like the start of a show long storyline, I think about Spanky. Yeah. Where like so he started he's like he gets yelled at for being disrespectful for wearing the headphones, and uh, that's not the last that we'll see of that whole thing. Right, and now we are eleven and a half minutes into the show. I just wanted to keep track of that. That that's how long all these little segments t- took, and we're finally in the building. And at this point, before we start the show proper, we have to address. We have a new play-by-play man. We have Donnie B instead of Eric Gargiulo. This is his replacement. I believe Donnie B will be here for this show and three more. Big 80s Donnie B. Big 80s Donnie B. And for those who don't know, Donnie B, the B is, I believe, Bucci. And he is, as in, he is Mike Bucci's twin brother. And Mike Bucci, who you might know as Nova from ECW. You might know him as uh, Simon Dean from WWE. And Donnie B had promoted some shows. I believe he had his own fed for a while. He had done some announcing work. But what I know Donnie B best for for is these shows being the worst wrestling announcer I have ever heard in my entire life. I know the last couple shows I was talking about uh, Eric Gargiulo and kind of saying he was worse than I remembered. After one match of Donnie B being even worse than I remembered him being – I was begging mentally for Eric Gargiulo to come back. He could call down gay people. He could call down my grandmother. He can do anything he wants. Just please 
please somehow change the time continuum, change history, come back. Because Donnie B, he is horrible. I will get into specific examples later, but I guess some of the big things is he talks a mile a minute. He says a lot of stupid things. He says, I tell you a lot. I tell you what a lot. I mean, constantly everything he says has to lead into something else. So, like, boy, that move sure was a hot move. And speaking of hot moves, you know, I've got a great date later tonight. Like, just everything has to lead (laughs) into something else. And before I get into your opinions on him, Matt, I uh, have a couple quotes from Donnie B., from an August 10th interview of 2002, he did with Chad Murphy at the PW Torch. And these quotes might not seem bad to people that have not heard Donnie B, but bear in mind, he is, in my opinion, the worst wrestling announcer ever. And just imagine me kind of white knuckling my keyboard and mouse as I read these quotes, knowing how I feel about him. So um, Chad Murphy asks uh, Donnie B. Watching the Ring of Honor tape from the April show, you did commentary with Steve Carino. How did that go? And uh, Donnie replies... It's a nice benign question without uh, get, you know, saying what everyone's thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, watching this, you did something. I'm not going to pass judgment on it. You tell me what to think because I'm scared. But um, Donnie B. replies, glad you asked that. On the night of May 17th at midnight, I know this as... Because as we were talking down, taking down the ring after the show, I looked at the phone and said, who the hell is calling at midnight? Rob Feinstein of RF Video called me and said, hey, I need a commentator for our home videos. Can you help me out? I like Rob, and he has always been helpful to me. So I said, sure. I had no idea who was the commentator before me or anything like that. I hadn't seen any of the tapes, but had heard the shows were good. So I said, hey, my friend needs help. And so I was in. Chad then asks, have you done any commentary in the past? And Donnie replies, oh yeah, that's the funny part. After the announcement, a lot of, hardcore, a lot of hardcores were like, oh, Donnie B is a comedy guy, and he won't be as educated as Eric Gargiulo. He will ruin the product. I guess those same folks are scratching their heads now, because according to Rob and his sales team, me and Steve are way more over than the other guy was. There hasn't been one complaint, and everyone I talked to is like, "Oh man, you're great. We didn't know you. We didn't know you, you knew so much." That's kind of funny to me. I've been around for twelve years now, managing for four, booking for three, and promoting for five. Gee, I guess I learned something. I used to do commentary on almost every indie I worked. I've done a ton of it, but never really concentrated it to, concentrated on it until Ring of Honor. It's fun and cool to see these guys building something like we did. Chad asks, how do you feel the chemistry between you two was? I guess he's referring to Steve Carino. And Donnie ends by saying, terrific. People may or may not know this, but I managed Steve when he teamed with Simon Diamond in NWA. I managed him for about a year or so. Some of my best memories were doing promos with him in the ring. We clicked instantly. Gabe Sapolsky of Ring of Honor was in shock saying, I can't believe you guys are this good. Thanks, Gabey. So... That's Donnie B having, uh, I would say, let's undersell and say a pretty high opinion of himself. And he, he shouldn't think anything of himself. He should, he should think less than zero of himself. He should Robert Downey Jr. Brent Spiner him or screwed up his name. But uh, 
He is awful. Matt, so, do you have any thoughts right now of Donnie B? So you're telling me that he um, he thinks that he's really great at something without studying or having any experience. And he likes to talk about how everybody told him that he was great, even though a lot of people are also saying that he's bad. So I think my main conclusion is that he's just very, very, very presidential. He's just a very presidential <laughs> guy. Um, he's going to make Ring of Honor great again. Yeah, I mean, this guy, this guy, sh- I don't know what he's doing. I hope he's not working in wrestling anymore because the guy should be president of the United States with those qualities. Um, I mean, he's not saying he's better than Eric Gargiulo. But Rob Feinstein and the sales team are saying very good things. He hears very good things about his performance. He was huge. He just he was tremendous. It was it was a huge performance. Um, now the thing about the thing about his commentary, I didn't hate it quite as much as you did. I mean, I don't think he was good, but I've heard a lot of bad wrestling commentary in my life, so I'm not willing to go and like firmly state that he was the worst I've ever heard. But he. Um, it it was very noticeable how like everything he says has to be this like big elaborate thing where things weave into another and he just it's hard for him to say something just directly and let it sit you know it's just like it just and it's just this was a problem with Gargiulo and Carino too so I'm sure Carino was possibly at fault and we know Carino eventually became good at that particular role right like his mm-hmm. his later ROH stuff his New Japan stuff he was a pretty pretty good commentator wouldn't you agree uh, he was never my favorite, but he definitely progressed night and day compared to these early Ring of Honor shows. Like that's the one thing I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of fans who have not watched these early shows will just reference their recent knowledge of Carino's ROH work and go, "These guys really hate Carino. Like, what are they talking about? He's not that at all." And he is way, way improved now than he was in these early shows. Yeah. And um, but but Don, Donnie B, you know, maybe he would have improved too. But it's babe, having the attitude that you're already awesome at something when you're not is not a good way to improve, um, in my opinion. I don't know. Um, but uh, but like like every like I said, everything he said would be like almost this convoluted riddle. Like it would be like it would be something like like he'd be like, well, if I if I were to say like, well. That that Donnie B, he started on commentary today, and you can't spell commentary without C-O-M-M-E-N-T, and that's common. And my comment is that he was airy, airy, not good at commentary. And uh, and <laughs> Mr. And then so Mr. Trevor Dane hears that, and he says, no, thank you, Mr. Bucci. I do not want to hear this commentary, and I don't want to hear it at all. And, oh, and he goes God. on from there, something like that. Oh. <laughs> is that good? Oh, that is... That honestly, that's the best way to sum up Donnie B's commentary, and and the the thing about it is, he is always starting something and missing a move because he's halfway through it. Sometimes he'll interrupt himself, but I think a problem. And you know, Donnie in this interview claims he had done commentary for years, but I feel it's a very rookie mistake you see from very early commentators who haven't don't have a lot of experience, which is you have to learn to speak in short bursts and you have to learn where, where to pick your spots. And Donnie B throughout this show is constantly starting these long kind of catchphrase tangents and things while the match is in full gear and he just misses things or has to kind of bunch together words to try and speed things up. He just doesn't know when to let things breathe. He doesn't. And Gargiulo and Carino had that problem too, but Donnie B 
kind of basically supercharges that negative aspect, I believe. Yeah, and like I said, it's his, if, if it's really his first ever commentary, like, that's fine. You know, you don't have to be great at something right away. But don't then immediately start talking about how great you are. Um, maybe just try to be a little bit humble, as uh, Kendrick Lamar would say, and uh, sit down. <laughs> Topical. Good album. Uh, so finally, we get to the first match of the show, and that's, I guess, it, it is a match, but, oh, it's... I almost get sick calling these matches, but it's the Hit Squad versus the Christopher Street Connection versus Prince Nana and Simply Luscious. And this match ends at 3.54 after Moth hits, uh, or I guess at this point he was Moth, yeah. He uh, pins Simply Luscious after hitting her with a burning hammer. And this match, it starts with, after the second show was not as homophobic, this show, it's it's not as bad as the first show because that show sets such a great yeah. high bar. And it's yeah, but not this, as protracted. <laughs> but this one is bad because the Hit Squad comes out, gets on the mic, and they tell uh, – Mafia tells um, the Christopher Street Connection to get their faggot asses out there, which prompts Credo on commentary to go, they may be fags, but I hope they're not stupid. And then Donnie B follows up, stupid and gay is no way to go through life. It's so all, it's all so unnecessary. Yeah, like, and like besides just being homophobic, like you don't even need to say this stuff anymore. Like the the, the the people get the point of like, oh, this is a gay. These are these these characters are gay and they're flamboyant and they flaunt it and they kiss, and they're not very tough. Like okay, so you don't have to say any of that stuff. It just makes you look bad. The Christopher Street Connection are so harmless at this point, yeah. it just makes the Hit Squad come off as assholes. Like, they're supposed to be the faces, but every time that the Christopher Street Connection come out, they're just having, like, making the crowd laugh and not really being malicious about anything. Yeah, right, exactly. They're not, they haven't really, like, done anything bad. <laughs> yeah, and the Hit Squad has such anger about them. So, Christopher Street Connection come out to YMCA. They put a bow on Frank Talent. Oh, I was literally about to say that that's that's one of the highlights. And again, how can you hate these guys? Who's done the most most entertaining thing so far tonight? The Hit Squad being the Hit Squad or the Christopher Street Connection putting a bow on Frank Talent? Like, I, I'll I, take... Yeah, I haven't seen much Hit Squad stuff from, like, this era outside of ROH. But based on what they did in ROH, like, they're not entertaining. <laughs> like, they're just, they're just like, ugh. Like, you know, it's just like, ugh. This is, this is just... It's a throwback to an era that is not good. And... They're beating up this fun, entertaining tag team in a way that um, feels like it's prejudice and uh, hateful. So, like, what am I? What do I? What am I supposed to like about these guys? Yeah, Hit Squad's all about telling and not about showing. You know, they tell you how stiff they are with, but they're only in these tiny little squashes. They they tell you how great Ring of Honor is when we've already bought the DVDs and don't need a long promo to tell us. It's just too much show not i mean too much tell not enough show but at this point um we start looking i think we're gonna get to uh get into a brawl between the christopher street connection and the hit squad when uh allison danger comes out and she announces that tonight is a three-way dance and in run before she announces the three-way dance do you have any idea what she's saying like, I, um, I hear what she says this is a three-way dance, but she's like saying a bunch of other stuff on the mic. The announcers are talking over her. I have no idea what she's talking about. Yeah, that's going to be a running theme, um, it, which is 
these early Ring of Honor shows, between the sound quality of the production and just how bad the house mic comes over the the speakers in the building, and then, as you just said, the announcers sometimes talking over it, there is a lot of mic work in these early shows that I can't decipher. And I don't know, honestly, if anyone can. I know in talking to you over the last couple shows, there's a couple things you've been able to pick up that I couldn't, and maybe one thing I picked up that you couldn't, but... It's a company that needs to be aware of this because they can't put too much stock into in-ring promos when there's a very real chance that the majority of your home audience will not understand what these in-ring promos consist of. And here, what I could get out is her announcing a three-way dance. We get Prince Nana. He comes out with Simply Luscious and Elax. We get a three-way brawl. One of the Christopher Street Connection does a Bronco Buster, and commentary is repulsed by that, even though this is the era of X-Pac and Rikishi rubbing their bits into everybody's face on a weekly basis. Um, midway through the match, I guess in one of the hilarious comedy spots, Nana chooses Luscious as his tag partner over Elax and throws Elax out of the ring. Um, Danger, Allison Danger, hits on Simply Luscious, Allison Danger, Carino remarks on commentary that Allison Danger's into, quote, an alternative lifestyle. And just to remind people, Allison Danger is Steve Carino's real-life sister, and Simply Luscious is his real-life girlfriend at this point. So we get this weird thing where only in wrestling is a guy doing color commentary watching his sister pretend to hit on his girlfriend. And he's can't acknowledge any of it at this point. Um... The Christopher yeah, he, Street. He does some subtle acknowledgments, I think. Yeah, it, it's very much a wink, wink. If you already know what's going on, kind right. of stuff. Even the sister stuff, like the way he talks about her, calls her bitch, and all this stuff. It's like, I think a lot of people watching probably knew that they were siblings. Yeah, and the Christopher Street connection and Nana's team get into a squabble. Karina calls it a love quadrant. Um. Donnie B. Mortarmouth, something that sounds rehearsed, where he goes, who likes who? Who's sleeping with who? Who wants to kiss who? End of discussion. <laughs> Which just made me cringe. And Hit Squads attacks everybody. Short, short squash. They hit a burning hammer on Simply Luscious. So they keep their string of attacking a woman on each show going. Although I guess actually Simply Luscious was officially in this match, so they're making progress. And the other thing I noticed is um, when Moth makes the pin here, he has a big old hand of Simply Luscious's breasts. I don't know if he meant to do this or if this was a quote-unquote accident or a real accident. It was kind of weird. And then at some point, if you watch this, during the pin, Simply Luscious like crosses her arms during the pin over her stomach, almost like she's getting self-conscious maybe but doesn't want to act like she's not, not out cold. Just a weird moment. Oh, I didn't even uh, notice that. That's so gross. Yeah, it's if you if you go back and watch, he has a he like he puts his hands on his chest on her chest, and he has a full hand of her breast, like right on it. And um, that's the end of the match. Um, Elax comes out post match. He gets attacked. Donnie B says that Elax just got the shit knocked out of him. Can I say that in a home video? I guess I just did. Uh, he is so edgy, so cool. Um. This was, I in my notes, I wrote, this is the dirt worst of pro wrestling except for murders. <laughs> uh, 
I feel like well, as the, a yeah, and it's a, it's a dirt worst of things that appear on television. Uh, yeah, because you still have the first of all, if you're really if what you say is true that he's like really like a groping going on, plus the homophobia, plus the fact that it's just like stupid uh, and not super well performed. I think that you may be right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, on every level, this fails, you know, as a way to entertain me, as a way to not be offensive, as a way to kind of introduce what Ring of Honor is aiming to be, as uh, just as a, as a way to not repeat the, the same segment that's happened now on three shows, basically, with minor deviations. Like, it fails on every level, you know, there's, yeah. there's not one thing about this that redeems itself. Yeah, I wrote here, these squashes are beyond old. Um, and probably if you asked them in 2002 about this groping situation, they'd probably just say it was a, quote, hilarious rib. I mean, I could it, – it could be an accident, but anyone who has this DVD, go back and watch that end and just focus on that. Watch how simply Lush just kind of rearranges her arms and crosses them over her stomach. Just watch how big a handful Mafia takes here. It's – it's weird. At at the very least, it's weird. That's that's super messed up. Like, I, I I don't I don't mean to laugh. It's like that colors my my entire my entire perception of this segment. Also, con- especially considering how bad I thought it was in the first place. Um, yeah. All that said, uh, I um, it's going to be hard for me to recap some of these matches without just descending into. Well, here's another ridiculous thing Donnie B said, and here's another ridiculous thing that Donnie B said. So I'm probably just going to go with it. If I notice something about the match, it's often just something that Donnie B says. <laughs> I've got a few comments. Although I think halfway through this review, when I was writing things down, I just kind of became numb to it. It just became like a gray void in my soul. <laughs> but um, I think that we've said enough about that segment. Moving on, we get a little backstage promo from the Briscoes where. Mark gets on Jay for losing two in a row, and Jay gets pissed at Mark. And I guess what I would point out here is Ring of Honor, starting with this show, I don't know how far long it goes, they've added these little black and white um, highlight videos before most matches with little captions kind of recapping what's happened to lead up to these matches and giving you the little notes of story, which I think is a really nice touch. I mean, the production level isn't great, but I love the effort here. And I like that. I like that they even have things to recap, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a, um, it's a good, it's a good start to like developing a promotion as opposed to just a bunch of shows. Absolutely. I mean, everything's starting to come together just a little bit more and we get, I don't know how long in, this is probably 20-something minutes in, maybe 25 minutes in, we get what I would call our first real match of the show, and that's the Tony Mamaluke wrestling Jay Briscoe, and Jay Briscoe gets the win here at 7.20 after a Jay Driller. Uh, Matt, you want to take this one first? Uh, I don't have a ton to say about it. Um, I just that the crowd is super into it. Um, a, a few different things that, um, that Donnie B said, which is, um, the, he said, this is ROH, no gimmicks. This is like three minutes after the last segment. So that, that stood out to me. Uh, he but, says, no gimmicks, no gaga, no buffoonery. <laughs> Again, almost immediately after that previous segment. Yeah. Um, but I thought the, yeah, the wrestling was fairly enjoyable early on. They're, 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 at this point, they're, they're starting to promote, I don't know why they did it during a singles match, but they're starting to promote the tag rope. 
um, during this match. The fact that ROH is bringing back the tag rope, which is interesting because in 2002, the WWE also brought back the tag rope for the first time in a lot of years. I guess probably a little bit after this because this was in April. WWE probably brought that back later in the year when they were doing that whole tag tournament thing on SmackDown. But I thought that was interesting. But a couple spots, uh, Jay reversing superplex into a top rope uh, pancake spot. And at some point during the match, Donnie B, seriously, on an ROH DVD, refers to, he's saying like that Jay Briscoe is going to do big things in the quote, I don't know if you caught this, sports entertainment industry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I didn't make a note of that, but oh, my God. Like, how, how... Was was WWE even leading into sports entertainment as a term then as strongly as they are now? It oh, yeah. seems no, so were, out of place. They were. They definitely were. Uh, they the, the WWE's been leading into sports entertainment since like since the '80s, but like especially since like the Russo era. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they're saying it on a show where they constant the refrain is constantly this is not sports entertainment. They they are constantly sending next messages, particularly in the first half an hour of every one of these shows. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, is it was it was you know J one with a J driller, so I was happy. So we still are only at one J driller kick out. I am going to be keeping track of that. Um, but I would say it was not bad for the short length. It was all action, but you know it was nothing much to it. Um, um, but then uh, after the match, uh, they note that Mark doesn't congratulate Jay. And then they go to the back, and the Briscoe's parents congratulate them, and Mark is just like, you almost lost. And everybody flip flips out on Mark, like, oh, come on, Mark, don't say that to him, come on. But literally, all he said was, you almost lost. It wasn't like he was, like, berating him or anything. Um, and then there's a, another backstage set. Well, you can get to this, the next one. I don't want yeah. to step on that. Th- this is the, the that was the first appearance of Papa Briscoe and Mama Briscoe, at least in Ring of Honor, and yeah, Mark is not happy that Jay won. As for the match, I would there's not much to add to what you said. I would just say it was an average match. It was I would say low average. They uh they wrestle at a frantic pace. They do quite a bit more mat work than I think you'd expect in a seven minute match, but that seems to be kind of part of t- Tony Mamaluke's thing. Uh, Jay is able to hit a two or three big moves, and I always love that kind of roll through of the Jay Driller, where he's kind of rolling through something, and he kind of returns to his feet with the arms interlaced and hits it immediately. I think that's always a real cool way to get into the Jay Driller. But yeah, just another low, another very kind of short, hard work, but nothing memorable match that these kind of early Ring of Honor undercards were full of. And so at that point, we get the Briscoe segment, and then we... Oh, the only other thing I would say is um, I got to bring up a couple more Donnie B things, which is, quickly, he uh, calls Jay Briscoe's leg lariat a backwheel spin kick, which is going to end up being one of the least egregious missed calls he makes. He says at one point, it's all a shoot in the middle of that ring, which is going to be not the last time he talks about things being a shoot on the show. And then finally, he kind of strangely, even though, you know, at least at this point, at least Jay is supposed to be a face. He says, Mark Briscoe rearing his ugly head. And I mean that literally yelling instructions to his equally ugly brother, Jay. And I thought, why are you getting on the Briscoe so hard? Oh, like, Carino's big on doing that, too. Constantly talking about how ugly yeah, they are. He's a bad influence. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just a really weird thing. Like, it seemed like he got more into being making jokes than maybe getting over what he should have gotten over. Uh, 
after this, the Briscoes backstage segment dovetails right into the camera, keeps going, and we see James Maritato is confronting Tony Mamaluke backstage about using the FBI gimmick. You know, he came out with FBI tights, FBI music. Um, he's pissed off that he's using the gimmick, saying he doesn't need to use that anymore. Tony Mamaluke kind of rebuffs him, and Maritato says something to the effect of, you know, you can do it without me. Just another little quick segment building to the future. Um, Joey Matthews and Christian York cut a quick backstage promo. All I got from this is that uh, Christian York's braids are decaying. They look frayed like he's not taking good care of them. They're ge- they're getting even rattier and that full effect and their little hand gesture was a pretty cringeworthy um, kind of catchphrase that they had that feels like a third-rate attempt to do something similar to the Hardys. Yeah, I'd say that that is what it was. I mean, I guess, were they associated with the Hardys earlier on? I'm not even sure. Yeah, I feel like they, I feel like they might have been. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the full effect thing was lame. That said, don't if you're getting on Donnie B for making fun of the Briscoes' looks, then you shouldn't be making fun of Christian York's looks, Mr... I'm I'm not one of the best about announcers in the biz. I'm not like taking Ring of Honor by storm. I I, I have a healthy dislike for myself, so I, I can spread that around. I'm I'm not cock of the walk like Donnie B, my friend. That's true. If if you guys ever wanted to listen to a, a podcast starring two hosts that just hate themselves, you have come to the right place. So yes. So good for you all. Um, this will make you feel better about yourself listening to this show, if nothing else. That's exactly right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I would say um, York and Matthews, like you know, they try to build them up like they're you know like kind of this hot indie team, but they just seem really lame. <laughs> like just in general, just like a lame act. Yeah, every time I see them, I just think of that was the indies before kind of the indie boom. Like they're one of the people that kind of represent that to me. Like the nineties indies. Yeah. 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 The, 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 they're not terrible, but that was kind of the, some of the cream of the crop in a, in a time when the indies weren't that great. So it's kind of weird to see them in the early days of ring of honor, but a few guys like scooting them kind of, you know, the vestiges, the vestiges of the last generation are kind of showing up here. And we get them in a match. We get Divine Storm of Chris Divine and Quiet Storm taking on your Christian York and Joey Matthews. And Divine Storm gets the win in 847 when Quiet Storm makes uh, Joey Matthews tap out to uh, some kind of, I would say, leg lace submission. Some kind of, he kind of just has two of the legs, the legs twisted, and he's twerking on it. And Joey Matthews taps out. This was supposed to be, I guess, uh, York and Matthews versus C.W. Anderson and somebody, but as we mentioned on the last show, C.W. Anderson did uh, did not tell Ring of Honor about a z- commitment he had on this date with Zero One, probably the same tour that I would imagine Homicide's on, and so they just they were not happy, and he was not on the show. So this is kind of the replacement for that, and this is not a good match. This is. I believe it starts with its best segment, which is Quiet Storm does a opening bit with Joey Matthews, and you go, "Hey, this might not be so so bad. It, it's perfectly fine." And then from there, Divine and York come in and do kind of a botchy, ugly-looking segment, and the match is just kind of a downward, kind of stagnant thing. From there, it's a uh, 
they work at a good clip, but it's just it's just not that good, and it, it's not as spotty maybe as the the Divine Storm with the other four Mikey Whipwreck trainee matches have been, but it's not good either. I wouldn't even say it's as good as C.W. Anderson and Elax versus York and Matthews from last month. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I will say it's like it's sort of like the first normal tag match in ROH history as far as like two competitive tag teams like wrestling each other in a tag match like it's it's like kind of like the first one because the other ones were all like just like these like either like there's like a, a handicap match or like cw anderson has a like not real partner or it's with like that lucha scramble style thing so this is like the first normal tag team match in roh history yeah, I mean, there was in squashes. There even the TWA tag on the first show was makeshift tag teams with this weird gimmick of only only the pinfall winner gets this reward. So yeah, that this was basically kind of, Spanky versus Michael Shane with like two other like guys they had to like drag along with them. Yeah, this is and um, I guess the other thing to note in this match is Brian XL escorts Divine Storm to the ring and. In the middle of the match, he when the ref's not looking, he does a big dive over the top to, I forget if it's York or Matthews. York. York. And it, at this point, I got a little bit frustrated watching this, thinking, you know, Ring and Warner in these first shows try so hard to emphasize how they're going to play by the rules and they, you know, the code of honor and all these spe- very specific rules and how they're not sports entertainment. And I realized one of the points of doing that is that when guys do break the rules, it gets them more over because it should seem like a bigger deal. But there's been so much stuff on these early shows that break rules in different ways that kind of fly in the face of being what they claim is no gimmicks and straight ahead that to waste something like this, like to spend that currency of the rules on Brian XL just doing a random spot here, like it, it's too much. They're, they're, they're breaking the rules too much too early on these shows. Well, it seems like they want, they like sort of like had big ideas for Brian XL, like considering where he was placed in a lot of these situations, like they were putting a lot of emphasis on him when you think about it. Um, so maybe they thought it was worth it to do with him. And when, you know, when he did it, Quiet Storm literally screamed at him, like, you just broke the fucking code of honor. Like, it was like, like, like it, was, it was insane, like, how upset they all got at him. So they did treat it like a big deal at the very least. Yeah, and I forgot that point. Divine Storm then th- immediately throw um, Brian XL out of the match, and they continue to wrestle it, and they win anyway, even, even with throwing him out. So... Um, one point I'll make on the commentary of this is, um, actually there's a couple points. Carino at one point to start the match says Quiet Storm is already one of the best wrestlers in the world. That isn't true today. It wasn't true then. It hasn't been true at any point (laughs) between now and then in the 15 years. Um, the other thing that was really funny is on these first shows, the announcers kind of act like Quiet Storm is a quiet man just because his name is Quiet Storm. And in fact, I think he's one of the most vocal guys in the promotion. He's screaming a lot during the matches. Before, every time he goes to hit his finisher, he screams, Storm, Cradle, Driver. And Donnie B, even in one of his rare good points on the show, points out that isn't a smart strategy to do this long announcement of your finisher before you do the finisher. But it just seems so – and we've also seen two segments now on the last two shows 
where Quiet Storm is like talkative and jovial, yeah. and yet the commentators are always acting like Quiet Storm. I guess he's he's known to be quiet, but he didn't look quiet there. It's like there's nothing quiet about him but his name. <laughs> well, you know, I guess you know again. It, we never know, like, if it could just be stuff that, that they brought from, like, other promotions because, like, there's supposed to be, like, continuity between what they do in ROH and what they did other places. So that could be why, you know, maybe he, he did have a gimmick of being quiet. But, yes, he's never been even a little bit quiet at any point in any of the three ROH shows. Yeah. Is, is there anything else you have to say about this match, Matt? Um, well, it's the second match in a row where Donnie B says this is one of the matches he was most looking forward to. <laughs> Um, right at the beginning, um, but you know, I th- it was just it, these 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 undercard matches. I don't know. They feel to me almost like like ECW like undercard matches. Like they're just like there's kind of not much rhyme or reason to them. The guys work hard, but it doesn't amount to much because there's no real story being told and just doesn't feel very impactful. They just feel like. They just feel like indie matches, you know, and maybe they're better than the average indie match because the average indie worker is not very experienced, but they still feel like indie matches. And they're very short, too. You know, no one really gets a chance to do anything but kind of a a crazy sprint that kind of feels like a TV match of the era. You know, most of these guys aren't being in a position to kind of steal the show or make a name for themselves. They're making – they're just getting a chance to basically – at best be kind of an entertaining filler segment. Yeah, well, part of the deal, I think, is they book so many guys on these shows that if they were to give everybody, you know, a chance to really have a real match, the shows would be endless. Yeah, and we know about endless shows. (laughs) Wink. But from there, we get a quick little James Maritato and Scoot Andrews promos to build up a match. I don't think there's anything really to say about them, Matt, unless you have something to say about those promos. Well, Scoot is like, um, first of all, Maritata reminds people that he's the master of the three-way dance, which I actually had forgotten about, but it actually is true. That sort of was something that was true of him in ECW, that he would win a lot of those uh, three-way dances with like Super Crazy and Tajiri and stuff. He would he would somehow manage to win. So I think that's a good thing that they had him note. But the funniest part was Andrews, because he was like, we're going to have a three-way dance. And we're going to dance three ways. It's like, <laughs> like, well, that's, that sounds pretty exciting, actually. Uh, <laughs> that actually probably sounds better than them having a match. I want to see Scoot Andrews, like, break down every match name. Like, there's going to be hell in a cell. We're gonna, there's going to be some hell, and it's going to be in a cell. Like, I, wa- I want every match. Because just the way he emphasized every part of that, you know, it's a three-way dance. We're going to dance three ways. <laughs> well... Scoot Andrews being in a Hell in a Cell match sounds exciting in and of itself, so... Yeah, it could be good. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Scoot's one of those guys... Again, I watch these shows, and I feel like I should watch a bit more Scoot Andrews, but then I never have the time. But we got to see a little bit of Scoot here, and in that three-way dance, we got James Maritato beating Xavier and Scoot Andrews in only 629 when Maritato made Xavier submit to a Fujiwara armbar. Um... Donnie B starts this match talking about how it's been a long time in the making. I'm going to point out, this is Ring of Honor's third show. It's been two months since they began, and the entire match is based off of things that happened two and one months ago. Because the whole point of this match is Xavier beat Scoot. He was going to have a rematch with him, but Scoot broke his leg. He wrestled um, James Maritato on the second show, beat James, 
And so now they're doing a three-way dance on the third show. So to act like this is a long time in the making, it's less than two months in the making. At least they pay some attention. Yeah, at least this is like one of the early kind of threadbare storylines that actually is coming to fruition, but not much of a story. But at least we're getting some some kind of progression. This match is uh, it's a again a, a real short match. It's a three way that only goes six and a half minutes. In, in the review of the era honor of uh, the era of honor begins main event, the low key American Dragon Chris Daniels match. One thing I remember praising that match for was it didn't really lean too heavily into three-way match tropes. This one really does. This one is does a lot in its short time of two things. The first, which is one wrestler sells way too little damn. He takes way too few moves and then sells for an extremely long period of time so that the other two can wrestle one-on-one for a while. I think right at the start, Xavier takes like barely anything, one or two bumps, and he's like selling like he's nearly dead and holding himself and kind of just so clearly just so Scoot and Maritato can wrestle a sequence enough to work him into it. And then there's also a lot of kind of contrived three-way spots that aren't terrible but don't feel as fun as the spots in the Era of Honor Begins three-way. I would say... This thing is, I would put this as below average, but it's fun. It's like a car crashy fun. It's, it's kind of messy. It's, it's very contrived. It feels like an ECW three-way, which considering that Scoot and Maritato and their promos both referenced the ECW three-ways, I guess that shouldn't be surprising. Well, they danced three ways. Um, <laughs> the, I, I just, I noticed the beginning of this match when Scoot and James were starting to do chain wrestling, they didn't even bother to do the spot where they like knock Xavier out of the ring. Like Xavier literally just stands there. Like, <laughs> like, like Scoot and Maritato are having a little match and Xavier is just like standing there. Like it's, it's weird. Um, I it, will say Scoot looks good considering he legit had a broken tibia. It is crazy that he came back that quick. I mean, I don't know how long it typically takes, but, I mean, he does not look the worst for wear. I mean, he looks, his legs and everything look thick still. I mean, he came back, I have to imagine, pretty quick from that kind of injury. Yeah, and he, he seems yeah, just as just the same as he always did. So, it's pretty good. One uh, Naidani B moment of the match was... Um, I don't know, someone does a leapfrog, and Donnie B just gets, like, so carried away he can't stop talking, and he just goes, someone hits a leapfrog, he just goes, nice, 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 nice leapfrog. (laughs) I wrote down the amount of times he said nice. So it's just like, I don't know, you're getting a little carried away for a a leapfrog. (laughs) I don't know. Um, There was a spot where, um, like, uh, Xavier was going for a neckbreaker on Scoot, like a reverse neckbreaker, and Maritato comes over and like picks up Xavier and like flips him over into a DDT on Scoot, and I was like, I remember thinking like, what was even the point of that? Like either way, Scoot takes the move. Like it's not like it's not like he changed what was going to happen. He just changed the <laughs> move that he did. Um, uh, and then Maritato gets a really quick tap out at the end, like just like you know. Another thing is all these finishes just come out of nowhere. So for these, like, I mean, you really can't build to a finish in six minutes. So. I guess that's just how it's going to be. Yeah, Xavier comes off the turnbuckles and Maritato grabs the Fujiwara in midair and gets the win. And 
I, I, I'm glad you uh, were paying attention because you came up with some great examples of the points I made. The just the contrived three-way spots and the people standing around watching with you know their thumbs in their hand, just doing nothing. But again, it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I wouldn't call it even average, but yet it wasn't. It wasn't boring to watch because it is that kind of cluster fuck of a match. I think it's a little bit interesting that um, on this show, Xavier had kind of had the 2-0 and win streak, and Jay Briscoe going into the show had the 2-0 and losing streak. And rather than kind of keep those things going, they, they cut them both off right here. You know, Jay gets his first win, goes to 1-2. and two. Xavier gets his first loss. You know, he, he, he takes the direct fall in this match. You know, they could have had um, Maritato beat Scoot, but they don't. So it's kind of interesting. They cut kind of cut those little streaks off pretty quickly into the run. Otherwise, you know, again, another forgettable little segment. Yeah, these matches are like not they're not bad. Like except for the first one, they're just like there's there they, you know like the execution is mostly fine. It's just that there's just nothing to them. Yeah. Nowadays, indie wrestling feels like every match is given enough time and enough focus where. Everyone is getting the chance to, to really make an impression. And these matches feel more like they're serving the card than they're serving the wrestlers. They're just – we have a few things we really want to focus on and give time to. And we just booked a bunch of guys to fill out the rest of the show. So it becomes a show. Pretty much. So from there we get a backstage segment where Simply Luscious – shoves somebody backstage and finds Rob Feinstein and reams him out because she's mad that they gave her nothing better to do than to work with Prince Nana. And this is the second straight show where they've kind of acknowledged that almost kind of breaking the kayfabe where they, they just outright acknowledge that, you know, she doesn't actually like the people she's managing or associating with that she's been booked quote unquote to us to, to, with these people and she doesn't enjoy it. Rob says they'll take care of her next month with something better. The only thing I really got from this segment was how weird it is. I realized how weird it is in like a non-announcing context when someone refers to somebody else as simply luscious. Like yeah. Rob's not even calling her luscious. He's like, you know, calm down, simply luscious. Like <laughs> it's, it's such a weird thing to see when it's not just – in announcing context. That, that was funny. Like it was, it almost like, and but like when Jericho and he did this on purpose to be funny, but whenever he talked to the rock, like when they were feuding, he didn't call him rock. He called him like, Hey, the rock. And, <laughs> and I, I enjoyed that, but I, this wasn't even attempting to be funny. I don't think. Yeah. Rob, not the greatest actor. This is already his, uh, second backstage skit in three shows. Cause he has the Prince Nana one in the first one. But they're both just playing off the fact that he is the owner. They're acknowledging that. And so both those segments are just someone has a complaint. They go find Rob backstage and yell at him. Yeah. Um, we get a, our first ap- appearance in Ring of Honor of AJ Styles. We get a backstage promo. AJ has a couple earrings. He's really pumped. He uh, frames the match with Loki as a battle of the South versus the North. Regular Civil War. Yep. If anyone's going to bring it up, it's going to be AJ Styles. Yep. And that leads us to Loki versus AJ Styles in uh, AJ Styles' Ring of Honor debut. Loki beats AJ Styles here in 1814 with a small package. It's a disputed finish, which I'll get to in a second. But 
I would say one thing that one thing I noticed on commentary I was reminded of in these early low key matches is this is around the point where they start building that every match low key has worked so far in Ring of Honor is a match of the year contender. And it's it's kind of an interesting reminder that, you know, Ring of Honor was aimed at kind of smart fans because although they're doing a lot of angles, they're you know, they're not on these on some of these low key matches now, they're not emphasizing as much his wins as much as they're emphasizing every time low key wrestles, it's a match of the year contender in a different style. You know, they're emphasizing match quality over his wins. And I would say this match I would say is very good, but I would I would say it's the least of low key's matches in Ring of Honor so far, except for the Chris Daniels match. It's not as good as the three way. It's in my opinion, it's not as good as the Dragon match. But the, but that's not but, that's not like a big uh, you know drawback because those were both like like memorably great matches that people still talk about fifteen years later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say what this match is is it's the of all the matches in Ring of Honor short history so far, it's the most kind of we're just going to build to a bunch of big huge near falls and big moves. We're just going to go all out. And pop people on, on 2.9 counts and huge near falls at the end and just do minute after minute of those. And other matches in Ring of Honor so far have had that element, but none of them, I think, this is the one that goes the furthest so far in the short history. It almost and, is like, um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. It's almost as like um, low-key and styles were not all the way there yet when it comes to putting matches together. And it really tells you maybe how just how good Daniels and American Dragon were at it. Yeah, that, that could be it. Part of me also wonders if it, this just wasn't an example of you see a lot in wrestling of when a guy first comes to a new indie promotion, they kind of focus less on telling a story sometimes and more on just, I want to get booked again. So I am going to, we're going to throw out everything, you know. If we do too much, so be it. You know, if that's the sin we commit, as long as it gets the crowd to react, that's all we care about. I could see that being another kind of rationale for the way this match was, because there is not very much psychology or or long-term selling or any kind of story to it. It's it's there's some mat work at the start, which is interesting. I would say it's pretty good mat work, but it's not key dragon level good. But, no, but not that I would expect. Loki was holding her, holding his own like a regular Shane McMahon against AJ Styles. <laughs> and um, yeah, on the, yeah, mat, but, on the mat, I meant yes. <laughs> they built two uh, big spots at the end, and what else? I'm, I'm, this is one of the best matches on the show, probably the best in my opinion. So I should have more to say about it. I'm trying to think. Well, um, I have a, a couple of things. Um, Besides the uh, besides that, well, um, so there's a point where like Loki like just goes nuts um, with uh, kicks to AJ's head and and all this stuff, which he's been doing in a lot of his recent matches, and like he hits this huge kick to AJ's either eye or nose when AJ's on the mat, and AJ either he's either legitimately dazed or is doing a really excellent job of selling that he's dazed. Um, but he gets back on offense like way too quickly. Like it's just it's very much like a high end, but still very indie match in that there's really not a lot of selling or psychology, like you said. And Donnie B after that kick says something like how he wouldn't be surprised if AJ's eye is dangling out of its socket in a few minutes. And I thought, just 
why do you even say that? Like, like it's you know it's not going to happen. I think it's happened one time in wrestling history with Stan Hansen and Vader. Like, why would you even? It just makes you look stupid. And it's a, uh, it's just Donnie B. I'm shaking my fist at you, but um, there is things I felt. Stop bullying! Stop bullying announcers, JBL. <laughs> I can't help it, Nagel. But uh, there's. There's some things that could have become a story here. I think AJ does something really interesting early on where wherever Loki kicks him, a lot of times he kind of fires up and returns fire. And I think a lot of guys at this point in – well, at any point working Loki, they had a tendency to just go, whenever Loki kicks me, I'm just going to sell it huge and then wait for my chance to come back on offense. But you know, AJ stood up to him, which I thought was an interesting dynamic they had, but they never really go anywhere with it. Um, you know, big moves galore down the stretch. I know Dave at the time really loved this match, gave it four and a half stars. Really? He said he had a problem with, um, he's the only problem he had with the match was he thought keys Kawada kicks. He should maybe not do those. I think Dave got a little concerned with all the kicks, which seems almost a little bit quaint in but, today's world, but reasonable. Yeah. Like, I thought some of keys kicks here, particularly some of the running ones were like the most vicious looking he's had so far in Ring of Honor. Yeah, I, like, I mean, so. it's hard for me to imagine these these kicks were not too dangerous. You know, like I I think people, you know, you know, I mean, wrestlers know, I guess, like, you know, they'll say like, well, actually, it's safe because this, this, and this. But I can't imagine some of these kicks being safe, especially knowing what we know now about like head injuries and how many, like, you know, how certainly how a guy, how many a guy like uh, American Dragon has had and how it ended his career possibly or probably. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's it's a it's a I honestly don't know you know people sometimes say about guys that throw a lot of kicks and hard strikes you know oh you know they hit me hard but they hit in safe places I don't know if you can always say that about low key but at the same time I've never obviously been in the ring with him but he has knocked people out though like that's yeah that, that's happened. why I say you can't say that I mean how how often is he making those accidents. And how often is he a safe worker? You know, yeah, that's that's a question I don't think we'll be able to answer. But you the know, other- even the guys who really know what they're doing. I mean, like you tell you look at a guy like Masawa, you know, who did all those head drop spots, and he was considered like the most, you know, the pro of all pros, right? And he obviously ended up destroying himself, literally killing, or literally causing his body to be destroyed to the point where he died, um, based on the wrestling moves that he did. So. I don't know if it's really possible to do these dangerous-looking things safely at all. Yeah, and I mean, looking back, you know, Loki still wrestles, but as a very occasional kind of part-timer who just does it as a hobby, and Dragon's not wrestling anymore, and they were the two stiffest guys, you know, in the promotion at this point. And I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. AJ was held his own as far as stiffness goes, I will say that. Yes, again, that's one of the more interesting parts of this match to me. He really returned, you know, he returned everything. You know, he he was intense. He was not just designated good worker for low-key to do low-key things to. He was fighting scrapping right there with him. I remember that about AJ in that era. Like, one of the things about him was that he was, like, super stiff and super intense. Like, he was, like, very screamy and, like, built really like he's a really big muscular guy you know not tall but very muscular at the time and you know he hit really hard he got hit really hard like he was definitely no slouch in the stiffness department 
I did not remember he was this stiff. That so that's something I've this rewatch has helped me find. Well, you'll see a lot more of that because yeah. that, that doesn't that, that 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 doesn't end with him in ROH. And I guess the other thing to point out here is the finish, which is they do a kind of finish to build to a future match between these two, where Loki gets a small package, and they do kind of that. He kicked out right at three. Did he kick out at three? Did he not kick out at three? You know, maybe AJ got screwed. And the finish would work better if not for the fact that Donnie B earlier in the match does the ref counted three. This match is over at a different near fall. And no one else in the in the world, not the wrestlers in the ring, not the ref, not Carino, not the fans, thinks that's a three count or reacts to it. But Donnie B does. And I feel like Donnie B getting the call wrong earlier to try and get stuff over really hurt them later when they had to do a real kind of disputed finish. Well, and you know, they that's that I almost blame, you know, uh, the producers, like, you know, Gentry and Sapolsky and Feinstein. Like, they should have just said, like, okay, we have to tape that part again because you shouldn't have said that there. You know, like, that's that's their responsibility, I think. Yeah, I definitely would have told them to do it again because it, it defeats the whole central point of the finish of the match, which is, you know, you're cutting your legs off because there should only be one moment like that in the match at the end. But I would say, you know, very good match, you know, more, but I would say less of a very good match and more of a very good way to just show off how things that AJ Styles can do and kind of give you a taste of him if you haven't seen him before. Yeah, it, it was definitely like a worth a match like that. I don't say it's worth like going out of your way to see, but if you're if it's on in front of you, it's entertaining to watch. There were some like that, there's one spot in particular where AJ hits this crazy like like almost like spiking DDT. Like I don't even know how to describe the move because I don't think he kept doing it for much longer. But you know what I'm talking about, where he's on the, where he's on his shoulder, and he lifts him up almost completely, like, v- like straight, where his head is like directly vertical above the mat, and just drops spikes yeah. key on his head, and like that's actually the finish where like he so he go he does that move, it, a Loki kicks out of it, which is like ridiculous, and then for the finish he goes to do that move again, and Loki reverses into a roll up, and that's that's the actual finish of the match. But that that move is like, you know, like a finisher of all finishers kind of move, like, but Loki just kicked right out of it. If you want to see big moves and big near falls, like this match still holds up in a lot of ways in that respect. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to single out a couple Donnie B things as usual. Oh, there's a lot of good commentary in this match. Donnie B starts out by saying that this could be one of the greatest matches ever and that, quote, you can live this one up to all the hype, unquote. <laughs> um, he also says this match is the match he's most looking forward to. So my <laughs> reaction to that was sucks to be Xavier Scoot and Maritato because that's the only match he didn't say that about. So. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a, it, That's his bowling shoe ugly. If he doesn't say it's one of the matches he's most looking forward to, it means he hates it. Yeah. But – he, I think he also calls low-key pure H2O square, oxygen squared or something like that. <laughs> he, he, uh, he, the match goes to the mat about five or ten seconds in, and Donnie says that uh, this is this is ex- this match is exactly how low-key wanted it to go, 110 miles an hour, fast and furious. The match was five seconds old, and it just had gone to the mat, and. Um, he talks about how he had never seen Loki on the mat very long when Loki had just made evented the last Ring of Honor show doing about, I would say, half an hour of mat work with American Dragon. Um, 
He, low key, I mean, Donnie B at one point says low key means Beelzebub and starts talking about how this is a fight between a man of God, AJ Styles, and I guess Satan well, of low key. Sta- well, it starts with uh, Carino going, low key just kicked or drop kicked the Jesus right out of AJ Styles, which I actually think is not a bad line. And then it goes into this weird thing. Well, like people might not know this, but the, that's low key, that's in the Bible. That means Beelzebub. That means blah blah blah. That's a demon. Like he just like he like he can't just like give a full sense. Like that's Beelzebub. That's such and such. That's this. That's that. That's a demon. And it's not even I, true, right? Yeah. I don't. I don't even think it's real. I think he's mixing up North Norse mythology of like Loki, which is his name's a pun on with any other mythology. Or the and, Ke- or the Kevin Smith movie Dogma. Yeah. He's a big, huge fan of Dogma. He, he actually thinks Jersey Girl's underrated. But um, Carino, Donnie B does not me. Uh, I don't want don't want that misconception out there. But uh, Carino, I think crack. What we agree on is like a genuine funny joke where he's he makes some crack about how you know the people running Ring of Honor are Jewish, so you know. They would have like Donnie B starts going like why would they even book a match between a Christian and Satan, and Krenos like the people who run this company are Jewish they don't would have no idea you know about all this stuff and yeah. I wrote in my notes like Krenos one for one hundred now on jokes so far during his early Ring of Honor run yeah it's probably that was true. A- one for one hundred and um, yeah and Donnie B that's the one place that Donnie B doesn't want to go when they start talking about how the people who run ROH are Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's like, uh, I'm not like no comment, basically, is what he says. Yeah, it's just hilarious to think that, you know, Gabe's probably like five feet away from them as they record this. So, yeah. um, and finally, Donnie B calls AJ Styles spiral tap, which is like one of his signature moves of the time, kind of a corkscrew senton bomb. He calls it a twisting senton back suplex. Let's <laughs> <laughs> call it that. So, yeah, Donnie B, like, in hindsight, it's pretty fun to talk about him. At the time, you know, you have a higher tolerance for him than me. I was just, ugh, I couldn't stand it. But yeah, that's if, our Donnie. If there was, like, a really amazing match going on, like, I probably would have been like, okay, this is ruining it. But there was nothing quite at that level, so I didn't really... So it was like, okay, this is fine. This is This is an extra level of of entertainment that it's this is adding even if it's if the uh fun hilariously bad category of entertainment and the other thing i would say here is i think loki vomited after the match like he goes leans over the ring apron to vomit did you catch that like was i no i missed i missed that um i i think at one point it looks like he kind of leans over the apron and he looks exhausted and i think he uh i think he pukes oh my gosh and um, after that, you know, AJ and Loki shake hands, and uh, I think you can hear them mouthing, not here, but you can see them mouthing basically like, we'll do this again, because AJ's not happy. And that's pretty much it for that segment, unless you have anything else to say, Matt. Nope. Okay, and next we get into a Chris Daniels backstage promo where he hypes his match with uh, Donovan Morgan. He uh, talks about how Donovan is the first Ring of Honor opponent that Christopher Daniels will respect. He does a great job, I think, of putting over their similarities, how they both work in Japan. They both won the Super 8. In fact, uh, Donovan Morgan had just won the Super 8 by beating AJ Styles this year. Um, Both live in California. And Daniels continues to just be far and away the best promo guy in the company at this point. 
able to get over all these little bullet points. And Donovan Morgan later will cut a promo. And needless to say, he'll do a worse job getting over Donovan Morgan than Christopher Daniels does getting over Donovan Morgan. Yep, I would say that's certainly true. And next we get the debut of the Carnage crew of H.C. Loke and Tony DeVito. And they defeat another um, debuting team that will become kind of an undercard staple of Ring of Honor, which is the Ring Crew Express. But here they're just known as their names, Dunn and Marcos. And they lose to the Carnage crew in 313 when DeVito pins, I think it's Dunn, I'm not sure, after a big kind of powerbomb, neckbreaker combo move. And Matt, you want to take us through this? Well... There's not much to say, but the story of yeah. the match is basically just that the crowd shits all over them. Like, I don't know if it's because of the angle that happened um, on uh, on the Round Robin Challenge that didn't make the DVD or what, but immediately the crowd chants boring. Like, before they even get a chance to do anything, then they chant, end this match. Then it's all just booing the whole time. Like, they just hate it. And I, I didn't really understand it because they're basically just doing the same thing that the Hit Squad gets loved for. You know, probably even in some cases a little bit better. They they're a little bit more athletic. They um, they do some more moves. They um, they did the power bomb neck breaker combo at the end of the match. They ha- they came out with hubcaps. That was their thing at the beginning. They beat up the um, Dun and Marcos with the hubcaps. Um, Marcos kicks out of like a crazy head drop for um, for some reason. But I just couldn't get over how mean the crowd was to them, and I, I couldn't figure it out. Um, you know, there wasn't much to this match, but it was short. Uh, as far as, like, these squashes go, it was no more offensive than the Hit Squad ones. Less offensive because of the lack of, you know, um, deranged homophobia and violence against women. So I, uh, so I don't know. I don't get it. But uh, the Carnage Crew won, and this will certainly not be the last we see of either of these teams. Yeah, and in fact, it's not even the last we'll see of each of them against each other. Cause they'll kind of continue to feud through the years. Yep. But I thought, I thought, yeah, this was just another fine short tag squash. I thought DeVito has some really good agility for a guy of his size. I think, you know, I really, they did kind of a doomsday device drop kick where, uh, Loke has one of the guys up on his shoulders and DeVito comes off with a top rope drop kick. And I thought it looked really good. I, I, you know, DeVito goes for a moonsault, you know, for a guy with a big belly, he's, pretty agile or at least can fly a bit and uh i think dun and marcos got surprisingly more offense than guys in these squashes had been getting in these first few shows but obviously not that much and you you come away knowing exactly who you're supposed to see as the big team going forward but yeah i don't know why the crowd turned on this so much i thought this was an average squash turned on it it is a uh I, I would even say is a misnomer because they were against it immediately. They were they had okay. themselves no chance to turn. Why did they hate it so much? I think that's yeah, hate it from the jump. Yeah, and maybe maybe this aborted Carnage Crew angle from the other show maybe that soured them on it. But um, the only thing other thing I can think of is you know this is the third team now in Ring of Honor, like you alluded to. We have the Carnage Crew, the Hit Squad, and the Natural Born Sinners, who all basically do the same thing, which is they're all big and kind of tough, intimidating, brawling tag teams that squash, like, job teams in a few minutes. And they, they're they kind of putting way too, you know, there's one or possibly, I would say, two too many of those teams in Ring of Honor all at the same time on these early shows. 
that's a fair point. I think that might have something to do with it. But I do remember hearing, and it was I think it was even in the Observer, that there was um, that whoever Loke's original partner was at the Round Robin Challenge, they did an angle against the Hit Squad that didn't get over at all. Um, yeah. And so I, I do think that this might be just some blowback from that. And it's interesting because the Carnage crew will end up outliving, you know, the Hit Squad and the Natural Born Sinners as a Ring of Honor kind of undercard team. So they'll get the last laugh if last laugh means having entertaining matches with the Ring Crew Express in 2004 or Mm -hmm. 5. Donovan Morgan cuts a short promo on Chris Daniels, thanking him for his kind words. There's not much to this. Donovan Morgan doesn't really have charisma. And that goes directly into Donovan Morgan takes on Christopher Daniels in his Ring of Honor debut, Donovan Morgan's. And Donovan Morgan gets the upset win in 13-10 after kind of a leg capture swinging neck breaker. Um, it was interesting seeing Daniels come out to such a big face pop here, knowing that he's like the one big overt heel the company has. The, when we watch him go play to the crowd, one one per, one person even brought a sign for Christopher Daniels saying something like, Christopher Daniels is my god. And, you know, not many people are bringing signs to Ring of Honor shows. And, you know, the crowd is in love with him. You know, he's really over here. So it's kind of interesting that he's the only heel, but he's getting cheered. Well, ain't, uh, that, ain't that the ROH way? <laughs> even at these early shows, these damn brat fans, yeah. smarts. But... This is a this is a good match. I don't know if I liked it as much as I did because there's been so much kind of short, scrappy, sloppy matches on these shows. But just something that's competent, kind of mid-length wrestling was something I was kind of craving at this point in the show. And these guys deliver. I would call it kind of a – it's an inferior version, I would say, of Dragon Daniels from the last show where there's some neck – work they try and tell a bit of a story with it i think morgan does a better job here than daniels actually they do some mat work to start and kind of build to some big falls at the end and i think this is just a good kind of middle of the road mid-tempo kind of match that you know it's everything is done smoothly and you know you can tell these guys are experienced veterans in a way that a lot of the guys on the shows aren't i like that uh i like the finish where Morgan hits a swinging, the swing kind of leg capture neck breaker, and Daniels barely survives by getting a foot on the ropes. And so almost immediately, Morgan hits it again in the center of the ring, and he wins with it. And I, I, I like those kind of finishes. I like when a guy almost wins with something and just uses it again and gets the win. I think it's a very logical finish that wrestlers don't use enough of. And I'll let it go to you while I kind of just check my notes. Well... Um, I, th- I would agree with what you said. It was a good like mid-tempo match. I think one thing that kept the crowd from getting fully invested in it was that it, there wasn't a lot of dramatic selling or anything. You know, it's just kind of like boom, 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 it's done. But you know, everything was well executed. I thought it was definitely like a good match. I'd say probably in some ways on par with the low-key match and just you know not as spectacular, but a little bit more solid. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that. Um, but um, some. Fairly funny Donnie B lines from this. Um, he calls like a, a, a hold that uh, that Daniels does as a nice reverse neck break chin lock by Daniels. <laughs> then he says that Morgan learned a submission move quote in the streets of Japan because that's what happens when you get mugged in Japan. You get you get put you get put in a submission hold. Uh, then he says that. Um, 
that Morgan, quote, flipped him like a cheap bar of soap. <laughs> Tell me if that's a saying, because I've never heard it. No, he, he, I just, you know, you could say the phrase, he threw him away like a hot chain, and that would make as much <laughs> of a, um, a sense as what he said. <laughs> He hit him like a old severed toe. Like I don't know. Um, no, uh, but the announcers, I've noticed this. Like I don't know if it's like their way of sounding smart, but they were like obsessed with whether or not a guy hooked the leg. Like oh, like he should have hooked the leg. He didn't hook the leg. Why didn't he hook the leg? I can't believe a veteran like that didn't hook the leg. Just a constant, a constant like leg hooking uh, obsession with those two. Um, but um, but yeah, the match itself. Uh, there's not a ton to say about it but you know they like there was a cool like they started going to that like fish out of water like roll up spot but instead of continuing with it morgan just grabbed daniels in a knee bar i thought that was cool um there was a really cool jumping ddt onto daniels from the second rope um followed by a big back suplex um i thought that was pretty cool um good swinging neck breaker by Morgan. Like that was like, I think that was the one that you were talking about that he ended up winning with. Cause then he did it again, but he hooked the leg the second time, just as the announcers told him to. And, uh, and that gave him the win. Mm-hmm. Um, going to your point, you asked earlier, like how I compare this to low key AJ styles. I would put that as the better match, but I would say they're kind of going their Their strengths are kind of complete opposites. Cause I would say, like you said, this match is more fundamental, fundamentally solid but it doesn't have those big, big moments at the end, those final few minutes of near falls. But at the same time, if you want something that does come closer to having a story and maybe more of a progression to it, this definitely is more grounded in that sense, I would say. So it kind of just depends on what you like. Yeah, I, I wonder I, why... I, sorry. No, no, you go. I wonder, I, why Mor- I wonder why Morgan, like, you know, didn't continue with this crew of guys. Like, it was, was it just that he couldn't really put, like, the personality package together the way the other guys could? You know, because, you know, it's not like AJ Styles in the, his indie days was ever, like, so much of a great character. But, like, his personality fit, like, the way he carried himself, like, he had charisma, even if he didn't have, like, great, a great character at the time. Um, was, was Morgan just never able to quite get the charisma? I that's the impression I get watching him. He watching him here. What I wrote down is something like he comes off as a guy that would be great to be the the non the the heavy in a tag team or kind of the Arn Anderson, although he's not on the level of Arn Anderson, but the kind of the enforcer in a stable. You know, he's kind of imposing. He's very technically good, but he just doesn't have that flash of character or look or anything. You know. He comes off as the guy that kind of rounds out a team, not the as not the spotlight of the team. Yeah, makes sense. And what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, do, 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 do. Uh, never mind. If I if I can't remember it, it's not worth mentioning. That's my that's my rule for these things. But pretty true, I'd say. That, yeah, I mean, w- w- I think we're doing a pretty thorough job of recapping these things, but obviously we're going to leave out things. If, if it's not memorable, you know, we don't want these to be five-hour podcasts. So, yeah, good solid match. And for some people, it might I could see this being some people's one of their favorite matches on the show. I, I enjoyed it for sure. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is, um, I guess it was worth remembering, um, I felt just like Christopher Daniels, you could see him working really hard to put Morgan over here. Like, he lets him kick out of the double jump moonsault. There's a couple points in the match where he's just, 
Daniels is running around bouncing off the ropes super fast, like creating movement. It, I just, there was a couple moments in this match where I just looked at Daniels and went, wow, you're trying like really hard to make this guy look good. And not that I think more, like, I don't think Morgan needed like someone to really save him necessarily, but I just felt like you could see Daniels really trying here. It's amazing how even like 15 years ago, Daniels felt like the old pro who knew exactly what he was doing. Like he was nine years in the business, which, you know, compared to a lot of people, it isn't that long, but like he was clearly like, you know, among all these guys, just like the wily veteran in character and in real life. Yeah, in shoot interviews by a lot of the younger Ring of Honor guys, they'll call Daniels old man Daniels. Yeah. Like they just always saw him even then as, you know, he's like the old vet that's seen all the things we haven't seen. Well, he's an old soul, I guess. Yeah, an old soul that loves comic books. That's right. But well, I guess everyone can be can like comics. But um yeah, after this we get uh, a little segment while well, in ring, Daniels um gets on the mic and teases shaking Morgan's hand but backs away to a big pop and then he puts over Morgan huge and says you know there's a lot of snakes in Ring of Honor and I'll be your partner if you need it it basically saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shake your hand but not at a disrespect to you but because I think the whole code of honor thing is bullshit yeah he puts he's the first guy that Daniels puts over but he, you know Daniels still will not go to the level of shaking a hand right but after that, we get a uh, segment where Rudy Boy Gonzalez and all his Texas Rat Wrestling Academy students are in the stairwell. The There's quite a few st- segments in the first show is taking place in the Murphy Rec Center stairwell. Feels like it's a cramped place, but... Um, I imagine that there's not a lot of backstage room there. Yeah, we see um, Michael Shane, John Hope, American Dragon, Paul London, Simply Luscious, and Spanky arrives late. Spanky's all cocky, talking about how he's going to win the gauntlet match. Uh, John Hope, who we haven't seen before in Ring of Honor and won't see again, says that uh, he's the dark horse because he was part of the original Texas Wrestling Academy class trained by Shawn Michaels. I don't think bringing up that you've been the, one of the longest trained wrestlers there, but you're the dark horse is like a great thing to mention. Like, I've been training and working at this longer than you guys, yet I'm the underdog here. Like, that just kind of makes you look like you're not a great student. Yeah, I was going to uh, say the thing I was most excited for was seeing the debuting John Hope. They really, <laughs> they really hyped him up here. That was your hope, hope. Yeah, but my hope, uh, spot. my hope spot. God, you're good coming up with these hit squash hope spot. <laughs> um, London, I think, says when everyone's just kind of talking over each other. London says, "I break ankles," which I thought was kind of a funny, cute, jerky thing to say. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about cute, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so cute. He broke that guy's ankle and took him out of action for half in a horrifying way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rudy Boy kind of tells them he's going to choose the order of when guys come out. Spanky keeps being all cocky. Rudy Boy, I took from this that he's not great at cutting promos. In, he might be a good wrestling teacher, not a good promo teacher. None of these guys are great at cutting promos. Spanky has like a thing, a character, but it's not like he's a good promo yet. And so it's, it was just it was very awkward in general. Like like Rudy's like I'm going to pick the who comes out first and then Dragon's like why? Because you're our trainer and Rudy's like yeah. And everyone else, <laughs> and everyone else is like, but that's not fair. And then they all just talk over each other, like just a lot of awkwardness here. Yeah, 
it's weird. Like they have respect, but not too much respect for him in this segment. Like they almost treat him more like they're teenagers and they're his dad. They're he's their dad. Like they're kind of they're very kind of almost bratty to him. But that'll lead us to the Texas Wrestling Academy gauntlet match. I was so disappointed by the John Hope non-match. Yes, John Hope versus Paul London is the first match. And unfortunately for John Hope, his whole match gets reduced to a four-move clip job where we see two offensive moves from Hope and two from London, including London winning with the Shooting Star Press. So John Hope probably made that fabled 26-hour drive from San Antonio to uh, Philly for this one match and to get two moves recorded for, like, historical sake. Now, was do you think this was because the match was so bad, or do you think it was because they just had to clip something for time? I think it had to be clipped for time because I think the runtime of the DVD was about two hours, 58 minutes. Uh-huh. So I, unless, I mean... I couldn't have possibly cut out that hit squad thing at the beginning, right? No, no. I mean, that thing's gold. That's that's really leading places. Uh But that leads us directly to uh, the second match in the gauntlet, which is Paul London versus Michael Shane. And Michael Shane gets the win here after a top rope elbow drop. I believe he called it the pitcher perfect elbow drop at 342. And at this point, Simply Luscious joins the commentary team. And says this is since she complained earlier to Rob Feinstein about her role, she's getting to try this, which seems weird because Rob said her big thing would be on the next show. Um, she makes this even worse because then she talks about – oh, wait, no. this What she does that makes this worse comes in a, in a match. She mostly doesn't talk during this. It's just a short, fast-paced little match, you know. Nothing really special to say about it. It was solid for the 342 it went. Yep. Uh, there's really uh, yeah yeah. There's really nothing much to say about it. Yeah. I guess it, I guess it was fine. Um, Carino starts like in during this match just to sow seeds of dissension um, and drama in the in the TWA crew. Like he's talking about like this person doesn't like this person and Rudy does this. He's he's very like like I didn't you don't you don't realize early on exactly where it's going, but like they plant seeds here about him having some sort of heat with a uh, Rudy boy early on. He, talk, he talks a lot about how he doesn't like Rudy Boy Gonzalez in this match. Yeah, he, he's been kind of saying why doesn't Rudy like me on every show during the TWA student matches, but he's starting to pick it up here. The only other thing I'll mention from this match is um, Paul London needs to needed in this period to uh, take better care to wear some kind of underwear when he wrestles because I could pretty much tell what religion he was when he was getting stretched during one spot. In this match, his his private area was way too visible in his one piece. And I'm going to wash my brain out with soap by talking about the next match, which is Michael Shane versus Spanky. And Spanky wins cheap this bar, one. Cheap bar of soap you're going to wash your brain out with. And then I'm going to throw it away. Flip it. But <laughs> but Spanky wins here after with a slice bread number two after 1042. And uh, Matt, how about you take this one? Okay, well, I actually thought this match was better than it gets credit for. Like, I thought this was actually the best match of the um, of the uh, of the gauntlet. Um, there's first of all, Spanky wears a big crazy hat. Noteworthy. It's a big and crazy hat. Um, 
start with the chop fest. Uh, they put over the fact that these two have real heat. It's a shoot between them. I don't know if that's true, but they do make a big point out of it. Uh, Carino is obnoxiously hitting on Luscious until she leaves. So basically she's like, I'm not here to be hit on. I'm leaving. Even though I thought they'd already established in previous commentary that he was dating her. I don't know. But um, Carino, like at one point, goes like, you're so hot. And, uh, and Donnie B is like, well, thank you. Uh, people say that to me a lot. And I actually thought like his delivery was actually uh, really funny. So that's, You are so kind to Donnie B. Yeah, I, actually, I, I thought that was actually like his one legitimate like hit or one legitimate win um, um, of, the entire, uh, of the entire night, even though he says that we're going to be winning so much that we're going to get sick of winning. Oh, that's someone else. I always confuse Donnie B with this other guy. Um, so um, Shane, um, Shane's uh, busted open after falling to the outside. I'm not really clear on like. I mean, I guess he just he was a blade job. Uh, you know, maybe trying to like th- like oh like Spanky did last time. That's a good idea. Um, and I think that makes the match a little bit more dramatic. Uh, Shane dives at Spanky, and Spanky pulls down the top rope and flies outside. Um, then the announcers start going on about how Spanky is a angry young man. And like they're basically they're saying that Spanky is like uh, Jeremy from the Pearl Jam song. Basically, the intimation is that Spanky's either going to someday commit suicide or a mass shooting, or both. <laughs> um, I guess the latter usually goes with the former too. Um, but the match, you know, starts to get intense. Uh, Shane uh, tells Spanky to hit him, and he does. And then Shane hits a big clothesline. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Spanky, um, he's um, let's see. Um, Oh, uh, yeah, so so Shane hits a drop kick to the face and then a big tope con hilo. He goes for the top rope elbow, but he falls off due to blood loss. Then Shane, uh, but he reverses the slice spread number two and hits a super kick. And then Spanky finally hits the slice spread for the three. I don't know. I, th- I, I, I know this match doesn't get a lot of, you know, credit, but I thought it, they did a good job. I, I, I thought it was good. I'm going to not only agree that this was the best match of the uh, gauntlet match, I'm going to say this, and this shocked me almost as just as much. I would say Michael Shane was like the better guy of the two guys here, and I think Spanky looked good. But yeah. I thought Michael Shane did a really good job of of showing kind of that angry baby face fire. You know, at one point, you know, Spanky's wailing on him and he's like screaming at him to hit him right in the cut. Um, I think he'd hit a couple really big, a couple of the biggest dives of the match. I think he he Michael Shane like. This is a performance way better than I kind of expected from my memories. Yeah. And uh, the one thing I will say, though, is they never, I mean, after the match, it was sort of clearer. But, like, during the match, it was not really clear who is the face and who is the heel. And this is the kind of match that really works best when there is a face and a heel. Yeah. I would also say one thing that's interesting about this is I would call the first half of this match kind of like the first good brawl in Ring of Honor history, which you think these two would just have an athletic kind of indie wrestling match. But the first, I would say, half of this match is is lots of them going to the outside, lots of like punches and forearms, you know, Shane Blades, like you said. It's a brawl. You know, it's, it's completely different than what you would expect. I feel like they do kind of... Um, they lose that in the second half of the match where they kind of go to a more traditional kind of what you would think these two would do in the second half. And I do think there's a little bit in between those two sections where they kind of get a little bit lost. But overall, I um, really enjoyed this, especially just for how different it was. One thing I I thought that hurt it a little bit is Michael Shane Blades and 
when you first see the blade job, it looks good. You know, there's a fair amount of blood, but the problem is it never drips or bleeds down. And a couple minutes later, it's not visible. Like it's sealed up and it's been wiped away from just wrestling. And the, what makes that a problem is later in the match, like you said, there's a spot where he goes to the top and does a big kind of, I'm getting dizzy from blood loss cell. And, but at this point there's no blood visible and he's probably bled less in the match than I've had from like certain nosebleeds in my life. And I felt that kind of, you know, it's unfortunate that I think they had a good idea and I appreciate where they were going, but unfortunately like his, his forehead just didn't want to cooperate by producing enough blood to really give that a nice visual. That makes sense. Although I think Carino did a good job of covering for that. Yeah, Carino sells what they're intending. Yeah, and also he says, like, you have to get used to losing blood during a match. Like, when you're a young wrestler, you might not be used to it, and so you don't you don't handle it as well. So I thought that was actually a pretty good cover. And um, Carino, Carino is the perfect guy for that, obviously, because, you know, at this point, he, he was starting to change his perception then, but he was kind of known as the guy who just bled buckets in certain matches. Right. Um, yeah, this is a surprisingly good match, and a, a surpri- and a, of a different style than you'd expect. Um, the the commentary is terrible. The commentary, like you said, the Jeremy reference. I, I would say you know, Carino derails the whole first third of this match with his perving on Simply Luscious. He tries to tell her he has an eleven inch dick before she le- as she leaves. He uh. He, he then has to, like, think of Roseanne Barr to calm himself down afterwards. He's, like, orgasmically moaning about Simply Luscious. It, it, it's just completely derails what, honestly, is the, probably the best part of the match, in my opinion. And then, like you said, Donnie sells Spanky as, I would say, four different things. He sells him at one point. At the start of the match, he's like, I don't know why people don't like this guy. He's just like a nice, goofy guy. And then later, he kind of portrays him as like an idiot savant. They Later after that, he's this angsty madman that they base the song Jeremy around. And then later, I think he remarks that Spanky acts like he's drunk all the time. So like, he, he, they're trying to basically portray him as everything. He's, right, he tells an anecdote right about how he's walked across the cold to get like a Milky Way. In his underwear, yeah. yeah. Like they try and portray him as like dangerous and crazy and goofless, goofy and harmless, all at the same time. It just it, they're trying way too hard and muddling things way too much. Yeah, I, but, I honestly think it's also a flaw with the Spanky character. Like as I've been watching this, I'm just like, it's really not much to sink your teeth into with this character. Like I, I don't think it was like very good, honestly. Like like Brian Kendrick is charismatic and like that that helps, but like whatever they're trying to do with Spanky, I don't think is working. In my opinion, exactly. It's exactly. It, it's it's a quirk they're trying to turn into a character, yeah. and they're going in like eight directions trying to stretch it into a character when there's nothing to really build off of it. Right. But I would guess I would put that as more of maybe a failure of booking. But yeah, not much else to say about this match. Um, you know, good, good, good on these guys. You know, I I like that this is one of the first kind of matches I kind of had a surprise revisiting. And in part why it's a surprise is because it's better than the next match, which is Spanky versus American Dragon. Spanky beats American Dragon with a slice spread number two off the top in 1341 to win the Texas Wrestling Academy uh, gauntlet match. And this is just okay. I would say this is above average, but not even good. This is 
I might be down on this, but I was I was really disappointed by this match. Um, it, it's it's not bad. The two still work technically on a level above a lot of guys, but even in that respect, they're the they're sloppier than I'm I'm used to from these two. I can see them calling spots a lot more obviously than usual, and there's a spot where I think um. Spanky's going to suplex Dragon, and Dragon tries to turn into a small package, and that spot completely just falls apart, and they they can't even salvage it into anything. Well, in go on. I I do I actually think this might even be below average. If so, only slightly, but I I do think they have an excuse, which is that Spanky's pants split in half, like like maybe a third of the way into the match or maybe halfway into the match. And I think at that point, Spanky just can't get it together. Like, I think he's just too distracted. Like, he's just kind of disheveled. And I think that just messes up everything. Like, I, I don't really see Dragon messing up so much. You know, I just think Spanky's just so distracted, like, that I just think that they, they just, they don't really, it doesn't stand a chance. And it's just kind of a mess. Yeah, I, I know in a, a Dragon shoot interview, when they asked him about Spanky and his relationship with Brian Kendrick, one of the things he brought up about how like crazy he is is how um, Spanky would go to the Goodwill or thrift shops, you know, before every show and buy new gear every time. And obviously, this is this is the downside of doing that because by some point early in this match, I don't know when it happened. Like you said, his pants are split all the way down the ass, like they're it's just barely does, holding on. It's when he tries to do like a jumping springboard into the ring. He jumps up on the top rope and his pants just like. Split or like second rope, and he just like stops jumping, and his pants are split, and like a large portion of his underwear is clearly visible. And you know, it's it's a it's a shock that he could wrestle the rest of the match, and these pants just didn't completely fall apart. Because I think there's just like one piece left holding them together at, at at kind of the the waist, and that could be it. It could also be you know he had just wrestled kind of a big ten minute match. I I don't think so. I think it's probably more the pants, but. There's there's nothing like they built this match to some bigger moves at the end. And obviously they do the kind of big thing where Dragon kicks out the slice bread number two. And then they have Spanky has to resort to hitting the, the top rope version to win. But maybe this match just doesn't age well, because, again, going back to Meltzer, he called he said he was really a big fan of this match. I forget what he said exactly, but he really praised this match. And to me. Like, like you and I both agree on this. I don't think it's the best match of the Gauntlet match, and it's easily the worst match Dragons had in Ring of Honor so far. One of the worst uh, Brian Danielson matches I've ever seen, actually. I'm, and I'm not saying it's that bad, but I'm just like, you know, he has a very high standard. Yeah, th- they do a lot of mat work at the start, but, you know, there's not really a story. And they build to near falls, but the near falls are, are okay, but they're not as good as you would see in other matches on on even on the same show. Yeah. And I'm, really, I'm really surprised that Meltzer liked it. I mean, I, I like you know people you know people disagree with me about things sometimes, but I really like I can't watch this match and see what somebody would see was great about it. Like that, that's very hard for me to picture. And I feel a little guilty because I mean we're talking about two guys that are 20 each, but at the same time, the downside of being so great when you're so young is people have high expectations, and this is clearly a notch or two below what you'd expect these guys to have, even at this point in their careers. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's not a big deal. They didn't have a good match, but it wasn't good. Like, you know, what, what, can, yeah. what can you do? I, um, you know, I don't think anyone drew any conclusions about them as wrestlers from this match. Just, it was an off night, but yeah. 
there was there were a couple of uh, funny lines um, from Donnie B that I can mention if you don't mind. Um, Please. Uh, so at one point he's talking about how you know how good Spanky and American Dragon are for their uh, experience levels, and at one point he goes, "They wrestle like they've been wrestling for forty years." <laughs> like, okay, it's a little bit extreme there. Um, and then at another point, he starts talking about how like like Spanky, he's a, he's a great thinker who's a little bit crazy, and like he compares him to other like historical great thinkers who are a little bit crazy. And do you remember who his example was? Oh uh, God, I don't. Oh, Scott Levy Scott, was it? Scott Levy, yeah. It's like not not Einstein or like great artists or whatever. It's like Picasso, whatever. It's like no, this is Scott Levy. He's, you know what was great about that was yeah. during that, like at one point. I forget. Creel's trying to like say something about how crazy Scott Levy is, or something like that. And and Donnie gets almost defensive and brings up the Spanky goes to get a Milky Way in his underwear story again because he's like, I don't think even Scott Levy would go get a Milky Way in his underwear in Alaska. And it's like like he's so protective of that story. Yeah, it's like one of his greatest memories on the road. I bet he still <laughs> like, tells it. That's like his apex of how crazy a person can be mm-hmm. if they like – because I think the way he framed it even was the the place that the show was happening was like across the street from a convenience store. So it really isn't that crazy when you think, all right, a guy walked in the snow like across the street to get a chocolate bar. Like is it that nuts like to walk for one minute <laughs> no, in the I cold? No, I wouldn't do it, but it's not like the craziest – I've seen people do crazier things. Yeah, and, and but to Donnie B, this is like the number one piece of evidence that Spanky is Jeremy too. Like, and Scott Levy, it, it, and Scott Levy is the greatest <laughs> genius who ever lived. Yeah. Did you have anything else from the comments? I sorry, I kind of derailed you there with uh. uh no, I think I think that was probably it for uh, for this match. So yeah, I mean, a disappointing end, but overall, you know. It's they're continuing the big push of Spanky, you know, getting to pin Michael Shane and then a fresh dragon, even though Spanky just had a ten minute match. So yeah, they're definitely highlighting Spanky a lot on this show. Yeah, you can tell that Gabe's like in love with him by how much camera time he gets backstage. Yeah, how, I th- you know at this point he's um he's three and zero. I mean four and zero because he won two matches here. So I don't even know. Not even Loki is four and zero. You know at this point. Well, he's very mar- so, he has a very marketable look. Like besides his height, like. He's like at the time, like he's just like super like like good looking teeny bopper looking guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was super handsome. I mean he was. man crush handsome. Yeah. Like when when he worked zero one at this time, they called him Leonardo Spanky because they thought he was like handsome like Leonardo DiCaprio. That's right. And honestly, he might have been better looking at at this point. Paul London, also very handsome. Yes. I think he would grow into himself a bit more. I think this right now this is prime spanky in yes. terms of look. True, true. But after the match, we get a spanky acts like a cocky jerk. He gets on the mic. Um, he you know taunts Dragon and gets his handshake. And just like the match with Chris Daniels, even though the guy's being a prick about it, Dragon's going to give the handshake anyway because he's a good guy. Um, at this point, he calls himself the showstopper. And the announcers freak out about this, like it's a huge deal that he's using an old Shawn Michaels nickname for himself. They're going to kind of use this in a storyline in the future. How dare he? Yeah, like, this is nuts. He's calling himself the showstopper. Um, From here, we get a a very long segment that's all kind of coming organically from this. 
Dragon gets on the mic. The mic keeps cutting out. He tries to cut a promo. He does manage to get out that um, this is only the first time that Spanky's beaten Dragon on a major show, which I like that he was so honest he couldn't even just lie and say, this is the first time you've beaten me. He's like, <laughs> nope, on a major show, this is the first time you've beaten me. <laughs> you probably beat me a few times in local shows, but... Um, the mic keeps cutting out. Christopher Daniels comes out. He gets on Stephen DeAngelis, the ring announcer's mic, and says he's um, interrupting recess between a couple youngsters, which the crowd laughs at. And he throws his name in. He wants to be in the tournament for the Ring of Honor title. Which is going to be at the f- very next show. The Yes. Right? So that the, – because the, 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 they kind of announce on commentary like how it's all going to work, right? That it's like um, – they're going to have the tournament, and there's going to be four winners, and then those four are going to go into a 60-minute Ironman match at the two shows from now to determine yeah. the champion. Yeah, it, it, it's worth noting in the last couple matches, the announcers really start plugging this tournament, and they start plugging that uh, Ring of Honor is going to go to Boston in three shows, which will be the first time Ring of Honor leaves the Murphy Rec Center in Philly. So they're, they're starting to really plug a few things hard, and... So Christopher Daniels throws his hat in the ring. Scoot Andrews comes out. He calls Christopher Daniels a pedophile. He's like, uh, he goes, this is, he, he quote, because like Daniels, like, um, he yells at Andrews. Let me find exactly what he says. Okay, so like Daniels, yeah, Daniels, um, Scoot comes out and Daniels like kind of talks him down. And, t- and he like grabs the mic from Scoot, and then Scoot grabs it back, and he goes, "Shut your mouth, pe- preacher boy, pedophile!" And I was like, "Geez, <laughs> like this is like a little bit too intense for what's going on here. Those two aren't even feuding." Yeah, although this is setting up a match because, in fact, Scoot then challenges Christopher Daniels to a first-round match on the tournament, which well, he will get. Daniels also goes, um, says to him, "Don't get your out." your afro in an uproar pal which is like okay i i mean that's just a straight up racist thing to say because scoot doesn't even have an afro yeah so like i he just like that i did not realize that 2002 was actually like the 1960s (laughs) everything old is new again oh my god um then xavier comes out he wants to be in the tournament jay briscoe comes out and i thought got a surprisingly loud pop he wants to be in the tournament um Prince Nana comes out. He wants to be in the tournament. He cuts, uh, does a lot of mic work. I cannot understand anything he's saying because of uh, the quality of the sound and his um, accent. And even Chris Daniels remarks to the camera, like, I can't understand what this guy's saying. And he's standing, like, right next to him. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, Loki comes out. He kind of sneaks behind Nana. Nana doesn't realize it. This Loki um, promo, by the way, I don't know how you reacted to it, but I thought it was one of the silliest things I've ever seen. It, they, they gave him a, a weight to shoulder that I don't think he could handle the burden of where he's – I would describe this as a face of the company promo where he goes down one by one, everyone in the ring, and kind of praises them, except Spanky, who he just laughs at and doesn't know what to say, and Chris Daniels, who get, he gets um, real angry at. But it's the kind of promo where you can see, it's clear they think of him as the face of the company, but giving Loki a long thing on the mic, I didn't think it was horrible, but he just isn't the guy that has the skills to do this. I just thought it was cheesy. Like, he's like, like, cause he'll, like he'll look at each one, he'll say like in this very like almost like heartwarming way, he's just like, Scoot Andrews, what do I got to say about you? And then he's like, Xavier, what am I going to say about you? 
<laughs> American dragon. Me and you, we go way back. You know, like, you know, just like, it's just like, it's very corny. And then he goes to Spanky and he, he, um, he kind of, uh, uh, like, you know, like, just like laughs and stuff. And then, and then Daniels gets pissed. And then he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, what is this bullshit? And then Loki screams at him. Yeah. It's like, like, the only way you will be ROH uh, champion is over my dead body. But Christopher Daniels did win the ROH title. And as of the moment that he did, Loki was still alive. Uh, is he really though? Is he really, Matt? In what in what in the ways that matter, Matt? Is he alive? In the legal definition of and scientific definition of the word, yes. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was. I have to admit, the one corny thing Loki did that I liked was when he talked to Dragon after that great match they had last show and said they've created memories that will last a lifetime, like, that did kind of warm the cockles of my heart a bit. Like, yeah. aww. He says, you and me have had, you know, if you had great memories, but none more memorable than the match we had at the last show. Yeah, it was. like, But, like, the, it's just funny that they put Loki in this situation where it's like, aww. Also, before that, Loki hits, uh, hits Nana in the jaw. And then he yeah. does, then he does this like big like promo where he just puts everybody over. Mm-hmm. And so to sum up the promo, this promo went 15 minutes of all these kind of people coming in. And I would say for the live crowd, that's great. It's a great way to build up the road to the title show that's coming up next. Uh, if I was there live, it would pump me up to see the show. As someone watching at home on the DVD, it was not good at all, and especially because you couldn't hear what most of these people were saying because of the sound quality. And even if I could, I don't want to see 15 minutes of this. Yeah, I agree with that. I will say one thing that is cool was that it was finally like getting guys. Like guys were sort of like for the first two shows were kind of put into these boxes where it's like you work with these people, you work with these people, and each segment of the show is very compartmentalized. And it was nice to see wrestlers like interacting with other people, like to just show like the world was a little bit bigger. You know what I mean? Like to yeah. show to show low key and Scoot Andrews interacting and Spanky and Chris Daniels and and you know just it makes it just, and even Nana with these other guys like it just makes it seem like it just makes it seem like a like I remember I said like the, our wrestling promotion should be like its own little world. It actually like makes the world to be, feel a little more connected. That's a great point because um, we we were complaining at least I think we both were but on the first couple shows about things being kind of repetitive and everyone kind of repeating segments. But the flip side of that is when you do get a segment like this, it feels like worlds are colliding. You know, like all of a sudden the tournament feels exciting because the idea of all these guys that have been in their separate spots, like you mentioned, anyone could face anybody depending on how the tournament plays out. So that, 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 that does kind of make it seem like a bigger deal. Um, so yeah, we, We've, that's the most overt kind of build-up we've gotten to a show in the short history of Ring of Honor. And all we have left here is the main event. And that is, for the Night of Appreciation, Eddie Guerrero and the Amazing Red taking on the SAT of Jose and Joel Maximo. And um, Eddie Guerrero and the Amazing Red win in 1328 when Eddie hits the Black Tiger Bomb on one of the SAT. And Matt, you want to go through this? Well, um, I I would say so. This is filmed right before the WWF changes its name, but I guess the announcing is is cut after. So they're calling it WWE, even though Eddie has the WWF Intercontinental Title. Um, 
I will say like Donnie B his his pronunciation of Joel because everyone's always said Joel but he calls him Joel a bunch of times, so I assume just based on by you know uh, common sense that Donnie B is the one getting it wrong and it actually is Joel. Um, but uh, a couple things I noticed first of all just after seeing the sloppiness of the SAT and even read in the first few. Um, ROH shows it's kind of cool to see them in a match with somebody who actually is like very crisp and like see them in like a normal wrestling match and you know they 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 do okay it's like you start to see finally like what people might have seen in them um I, I don't know if you kind of felt the same way um see I had a hard time like this was a real hard match for me to peg because I felt like I felt like Eddie wasn't mailing it in, but at the same time, he wasn't complete Eddie. I felt like the SAT weren't bad, but they weren't special either. Like, oh, definitely not special, but they were yeah. they were perfectly suitable wrestlers. They weren't just like botching everything left and right. Yeah. I, and I think especially against the pressure, pressure situation of wrestling Eddie, you know, you can tell they're trying hard to not screw anything up. And to their credit, like they don't. Yeah. You know, this is the first time I think where these guys kind of work a match where – Nothing is going wrong in this match. Yeah, and also the first time I see them actually work a match, like instead of just yeah. like, tumbling a lot, you know, like um, during the match, uh, Donnie B announces a bunch more guys for the tournament. He announces Jody Fleiss, Johnny Storm, Doug Williams, Jerry Lynn, AJ Styles. So now it's starting to feel like, oh, this is actually like a super indie, like you know, with like what we kind of know ROH to be with all those guys being there. Um, but uh, during the match, uh, Eddie does a sharpshooter, um, and Donnie B calls it a Boston Crab. Um, yeah. Um, there's a, a dragon sleeper bow and arrow combo by the Maximos very briefly. I thought that was cool. Um, the Maximos start by getting the heat on Eddie, and then Red sort of gets a hot tag. Then they get the heat on Red. Um, and there's a big um, Rana powerbomb counter by Joel. Um, Donnie B mocks Joel's weight, which I thought was a low blow. Um, yeah. So... Um, and we see during the match as we're watching like the, the entire locker room are out like in the... Uh, Jim watching the match, um, so that's a kind of a nice touch. Um, a very you know very ECW kind of move because that was something that Paulie did a few times where the entire uh, locker room came out to watch. Um, Eddie gets a big hot tag, uh, goes for a, sp- a frog splash, but the uh, the Maximo- the Maximos catch him and go for the Spanish Fly. Red knocks off Joel and Eddie goes for a top rope Rana, but Joel but but Jose blocks it. Uh, Eddie ends up springboarding Red onto Jose, and Red does a top rope run, and the place goes crazy. Like, that spot was done a few times. I think when AJ and Red were a tag team, they did it a bunch, but this is probably the first time this crowd has seen it, so they just go nuts for that spot. Um, Then Red dives onto Joel on the outside, and Eddie goes for the frog splash, but Jose moves. So Eddie rolls through and hits a splash mountain powerbomb for the win. Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was just just a good match. Like, uh, you know... uh, what it needed to be nothing definitely nothing special but it you know just the the post match i thought was made up for the na- lack of specialness of the match i thought i thought eddie considering he was the wwe or wwf intercontinental champion i think that he worked plenty hard enough yeah i, I there are i was um there there have been examples of guys like i was just listening to a samoa joe shoot and he was talking about how in uh, Paul London's last match in Ring of Honor, Paul was really worried about getting hurt. And I would say, if you watch this match, Eddie, who's already you know WWE Intercontinental Champion, he's not wrestling like he's worried about getting hurt. Like he's giving a good effort here and doing his big spots. And 
I would say this is an above average match. I don't really know if I would be quite as big into it as you, even though I know it's not like you absolutely loved it. But, you know, it's it was, like you said, I think it's a vehicle to send Eddie off more than the match to itself wasn't this the big main event. And the only thing I kind of wish they had more of in this match was I wish Red and Eddie had done a few more things together because I really like like you mentioned that assisted Rana is probably the highlight of the whole match. And I think it would have been nice to see Eddie give red the rub by doing a couple more moves together. I thought that would, I thought just those moments were the most fun. I think I, so I kind of missed that stuff and, but overall, yeah, Eddie hits his big moves, hit the brain buster, hit the splash mountain. And yeah, I, I probably actually enjoyed this more than the super crazy match. Oh, yeah, I think it was definitely um, a more fun match and more dramatic, actually. Yeah, because could have been a different, you know, there's more options for who how this match could have gone down. And I also have to, I also forgot to mention, Eddie came out to Smooth Again by Rob Thomas. So thank you, Eddie, for making sure you didn't change it like Spanky did, Genie in a Bottle. <laughs> and um, Eddie gets a huge reaction here. I think the pop of the night when he comes out, you know, they... You know, they were there, pumped to see Eddie again one more time, even though they were going to get to see him in WWE. And now we get to what I would say is the real kind of main event of the show, where Eddie goes to um, shake hands with the Maximos, and Brian XL comes in, and he starts ranting on the mic, and you, I can't tell what he's saying, because he's, the yes. sound quality is so bad, and right, he's screaming. But he, is, but he is ranting and raving, yeah. Yes, he is really angry about something, and Eddie tells them they can have a match right now, and so they do, and it is literally a three-move squash. Eddie hits the, I think, the powerbomb. Brainbuster. Brainbuster and the frog splash, which I thought was a nice touch because Eddie had gone for the frog splash in the super crazy match and in the maximo match, missed it both times. Here he finally hits it. That's his last move in Ring of Honor. Gets the pin in about like 35 seconds. So Brian XL has officially singles main evented in ROH a show. Yes. The, the, the only man to take a frog splash from Eddie Guerrero in Ring of Honor. Main evented the third show in Ring of Honor history against Eddie Guerrero. That that honestly might be his career highlight, as sad as it is to say. I mean, Aww. I don't think he has a bigger match than that. Well, a more no, notable well, one. You, well, you're no Brian XL expert, so don't no, assume. No. I'm not, I'm not an XL Hurt. You're, um, just, you're just a biatch. I'm just a biatch. I'm not a high flyer. I'm a submission guy. But then we get Eddie Guerrero getting on the mic. And this is one of the most emotionally raw things I've seen from wrestling. Eddie, because it's easy to remember, it's easy to think, you know, that this was the, at this point that Eddie kind of had his happy ending already because, you know, he had been rehired from the WWE. He had seemingly cleaned himself up off of at least like drugs and street drugs and alcohol. Um, and he gets on the mic and he tells us that he had lost his family this week, that he was still separated from Vicky Guerrero at this time. They would eventually get back together. But I think he starts talking about how he had lost a custody case. And it's a crazy moment where the crowd gets dead silent and you can look at the crowd and they're just watching so intently and it's just a really rare kind of moment. And Eddie proceeds just to kind of spill his heart out. He uh, talks about how 
the positive is he's formed a stronger relationship with God, Jesus Christ, as he knows him. He talks about how the wrestlers are his family and the fans are his family and about wrestling is the place where he feels good, which in a way was almost kind of like a weird parallel to Daniel Bryan a decade later where he would get on the mic and talk about how after his dad died and he was hurt, he wanted to wrestle because that was the only place where, you know, things made sense and he felt good again. And he gives props to Philadelphia for being kind of the place he got his U.S. wrestling start with ECW. He gives props to Rob Feinstein, really putting him over as a great promoter who was one of the first calls he got after he got fired. And he does most of this problem with the back to the camera, and it's just this weird... There's nothing quite like this that I've seen. It, it's just so raw. You can. T- it's so real. And almost it made me feel almost uncomfortable that I was getting a peek into this guy who was obviously just going through such a, a crazy point in his life. And he's just kind of... He was. He wasn't. He was laying everything out in front of this crowd of a few hundred people. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing about indie wrestling is like if you're used to the big crowds, being in front of the small one, you almost feel like you're safe, like it's a safe space to talk to people that really understand. And that's sort of what he did because you can't imagine him giving this speech in front of a WWE crowd, right? But he gives it in front of the ROH crowd, and like they're they're super respectful, and the and I think they know that they're witnessing something special. It's it's actually. Um, I mean, it's obviously much more impactful now, you know, just knowing that he'd be dead less than four years later. Um, but, you know, it was, you know, it's definitely, a, you know, one reason to watch this uh, to watch this show. It's like you don't really see too much of this from wrestlers. And it was powerful, like actually was, like not like in the wrestling version, but in like the real life version of powerful as someone who's followed that guy for so many years. Yeah, it's 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 this very weird transition point in his life where he's he's on his way to redemption, but he kind of reminds you like there's still a couple things left for him that he has to sort out. It's nice though that if he was gonna have to uh, that if he had to die, you know, and I mean I'm not saying he did, but like if he was going to, that he sort of at least kind of he 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 did get his redemption. Yeah, I've yeah. always thought that like. Getting that kind of victory lap last few years, like he died way too soon. But at least, you know, a lot of people who hit rock bottom don't ever get to spring back up again. And at least he did, you know. And he was a guy, you know, where getting fired actually did help him kind of reevaluate things. At least this time it did. I can't speak to like uh, earlier situations, but... Yeah, um, Dave wrote in The Observer that people were crying in the crowd during this i don't know i wouldn't be surprised i was kind of actually watching for it i didn't really see that but the crowd definitely even added to this because they really you know very few times i've ever seen a crowd just kind of be magnetized to a guy like this where they were just in a hush listening to everything he said yeah there's there's and, a part sorry no go ahead no no go on well there's a part of me that wishes like that maybe he could have gotten his redemption outside of the wrestling ring and then maybe he'd still be alive. Like I remember he won he was on Wrestling Observer Live in two thousand and they were talking about like the WWF ring at the time, which is it was the new ring, but it was still so much harder than WCW's and he was talking about like whenever he takes a power bomb in a WWF ring, he was just like, I have to be honest with you, it, it crushes me. It, 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 those power bombs they just crush me. And like it's just like thinking about that. Like then he's going back to that, you know. Like he's just going back to destroying himself. But that was how he found his redemption. Like you know, so like who who am I to say that that's not wasn't the best thing? I don't know. But it's you know, so you just you watch this and you're like, this guy had so much to offer, and it's so sad what happened. Yeah, 
I'm I'm just grateful that you know again I'm grateful for the happy ending he got even if the happy ending came way 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 too soon. Yeah. I've seen so many wrestling stories where guys don't get that ending, you know, yeah. where they die at the same age, but they don't get that final kind of triumphant last few years. No, nope. certainly, certainly wasn't certainly wasn't true for uh, Benoit, right? <laughs> no, he had the the exact opposite of yeah. what his best friend kind of had in terms of an ending, yeah. but. And that, and we get one last segment to end the show, one backstage segment, where um, American Dragon and Loki are walking down the stairs. They're talking about how cool the Eddie thing was that everyone came out to watch. They're just being awkward, intense best friends. And uh, they walk by an open locker room where Spanky is um, wearing headphones, holding a slice of pizza, and I quote, saying, pizza, pizza, I love pizza. Pizza, you're my only friend, pizza. <laughs> and and so Key and Dragon catch this. They go in. They ask Spanky, you know, why weren't you out with all the other guys, like paying tribute to Eddie? Spanky kind of just brushes them off. Low-key uh, gets super angry, throws uh, Spanky's headphones. So the three-show buildup of Spanky's headphones. Dramatic payoff here. At least he didn't throw the pizza. Yeah. Well, got to reuse that. I mean... Ray of Honor worked under a tight budget, you know. Yeah. Um, count every pepperoni. But, yeah, um, and then right immediately, Christopher Daniels and Donovan Morgan come in. And this is my favorite part of the whole show. Christopher Daniels goes, are you guys done marking out for Eddie Guerrero? No, he says, and, are, you two, he says are you two girls done marking oh, out yeah. for Eddie Guerrero? Thank yeah. you. And, um... And Loki, in my favorite part of the whole show, in this kind of offended, kind of weak voiced under his breath, almost goes marking out. And they <laughs> immediately burst into a four way brawl. Like, I love that's the thing that set Loki off is the phrase marking out, like marking out for Eddie Guerrero, marking out. That's not and, even a thing. We are fighters. <laughs> it's not the size of the fight, but the fight they'll bring, you know, and get into this huge brawl. Loki, um, Spanky, Morgan, and Daniels escape up the stairwell. Uh, Morgan and Daniels seem kind of open to the idea of a Spanky alliance with him. I guess so. I guess we're just to assume that Morgan took up Daniels' offer to form an alliance. Yes. Spanky says something like um, "nuts to you guys" and um, walks away. And Daniels ends the show by saying, telling Morgan. Do you see? You know, if I still had ring, if I still had hair, Ring of Honor would make it go gray, and that's how we end the show. I oh, yeah, I really liked it. It was good character stuff. Oh, yeah, I like that. Like that Spanky was like, now Loki's mad at me. Thanks a lot, guys. Like he's still afraid of Loki, which I which yeah. I which I appreciated. Um, yeah, I mean a lot of Spanky on this show, and a surprising amount of Brian XL. Um, <laughs> but uh, but overall. Um, I don't. In some ways, this was like the most solid show they've had yet, but I found it to be the least entertaining. Like I, I don't know. I just because they didn't have like the high point match wise. You know, the ending was good and emotional, but they didn't have this high point match wise. So I just felt like it was just like a little bit more of a slog to get through than maybe some of the other ones. The show was more maybe had a higher overall baseline quality, but the highs weren't as high. There was no show stealing you got to see this match and the baseline wasn't so much improved to make up for losing that one great match yeah i would but, agree with that 
So I would say this isn't even worth buying. I mean, I would say if you can get a copy of it for real cheap, the low-key Styles match and the Spanky um, Michael Shane matches are worth watching, but they're not worth going out of your way to buy a DVD for. And the Eddie promo is a real kind of real moment that is worth watching. But you don't need to watch any other part of the show for context. You could just watch that promo and you'd get everything you needed to get out of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I, this, I would say this is for completists only. This, yeah. this is the first show I would say where only watch this if you're doing a Ring of Honor podcast where you watch every show from the beginning or some other project like that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, that's, that's exactly my thoughts. So our next show will be... Um, Road to the Title, where we will – the first of two shows dedicated to crowning uh, Ring of Honor World Champion. We – Matt kind of mentioned all the names for, before. You know, basically every big name plus some British guys coming in to do the big tournament to crown the champion. That should be an exciting show. Yeah, it looks like it's like the first show, like I said, that has to be like a full like loaded roster. And they take a whole – like they take two whole months in between them two shows. So – I don't know. I guess maybe they were waiting for a time when they, all the all those people would be available. Maybe I don't know. Or the book or yeah. the building. I feel like the first three shows kind of feel like. One, I think there's lots of little errors. I try and sort Ring of Honor into maybe too many, but I feel like the first three shows kind of work as a piece, and the fourth show we start to see a shift in one direction, like you said, more of the super indie, and that about does it. I'll be looking forward to doing that. And I guess we'll just throw out some contact information. You can contact Matt on Twitter at MayorMGF. You can contact me on Twitter at Trevor Dame. You can email us at throughtheyears at gmail.com. That's T-H-R-O-H for the through. You can catch us on um, Voices of Wrestling message board, Pro Wrestling Only message board. We have threads there. I have a blog where I post reviews of these shows, written ones, at workthehands.wordpress.com and if you try real hard and find where I live and knock on the door, I'll invite you in for breakfast. That's about it. That is definitely not true for me. I will call the cops. Do not come. Yes. You will get... The difference between our reactions are as big as the difference between the final year of Eddie Guerrero and the final year of Chris Benoit. You went too far. (laughs) I have to get some dogs. And that'll about do it. So, Matt, do you have anything else to say? Uh, Adios. Amigos. And thank you. Goodbye.